Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. Late night. What's up, Chalky? Do you remember Fuel TV? Dude, of course I remember Fuel TV. Fuel was epic. I know it is. But I have some exciting news. And what's up? Fuel TV is back. What? It's so sick. Yeah, back and better than ever. And they are the newest sponsors of the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Yes, I love it. Thanks, Fuel. You know what the best part is? Of course I do. You can now get Fuel a whole bunch of different ways. You can subscribe to their new app called Fuel TV Plus and get their entire library of shows like Built to Shred, Danny and the Dingo, and Drive Through, and also their 24-7 channel, all commercial free. To subscribe, just go to plus.fuel.tv and download the app. The other way you can watch is Samsung TV Plus channel 1179. That way is free and includes the better than ever fuel TV that we all know and love. Skate, snow, and our favorite... Surfing. Surfing. Wow, Lyndon, that's pretty awesome. Really pumped. Hell yeah, it is. Welcome back, Fuel. Welcome back, Fuel TV. Foo Wax. The wax that's found under all of the best surfers on the planet. You mean late night? Always under my feet. And Chalky? How do you think I pull those big airs? And layback Lars. And those laybacks. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're not doing the 90s again, are we? I don't do those anymore. Foo Wax, the best wax in the game. Foo Wax. Bonsai balls. They only use real Asahi, not like all those other imitators using sorbet full of sugar. Yuck. They also get their honey from a and bee pollen from a bee farm. Healthy and delicious. No processed honey. What also makes them amazing is that they roast and make their own peanut butter. Damn! They've got seven locations. And download the Bonsai Bowl app to skip the line. Skip the line. Order ahead. Bonsai Bowl, healthy, delicious. Caliente Southwest Grill. Healthy Mexican food featuring local organic ingredients. They also have great salads, vegetarian and gluten-free options. Wow. Yep. Don't they also cater and make party packs? They do. They have all your needs for all your events. Nice. Visit calientesouthwest.com. Or go to the restaurant in Costa Mesa off of 17th Street. Caliente Southwest. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Crafted in San Diego. It's an adult beverage built for all walks of life. Bro, you've had it, I've had it. It's delicious. It is so good. It's refreshing, only 100 calories, all organic, no sugar, also gluten-free with 0.0 carbs. Hashtag enjoy cold Ashland hard seltzer. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. (laughs) You're so good at that, Lennon. <laughs> Thank you. We're, uh, we got an awesome guest this week. Huntington Beach local ripper was a surf shop owner, an industry leader of t-shirt development and production for, I don't know, three decades probably. 
Three decades. At least, huh? <laughs> yeah. Long time. We got yeah. a veteran on our hands here. Yeah. Got to step up our A game. Welcome, Dwight Double D. Done. Thank you. DD. Double D. Double D. Uh, a true product of Huntington Beach. Yep. Uh, born and bred. I moved here in 66. So, oh, shit. Grew, was born in Whittier. So, yeah. Whittier? Huntington. Okay, this, this interview's over. We're yeah. done. We're done. <laughs> yeah. So, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Pa- parents obviously just want to relocate closer to the beach or? Mom loved the beach. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was, you were it. six years old? Or? <laughs> I was 12. 12 when you moved to Huntington? Huntington, yeah. Okay. All right. So, what was it like? Like, it was a living, sp- coming from Whittier to, to the beach. You guys probably did weekend, you, you know. You, oh, yeah. You visited I mean, enough times before you We came my, here all yeah. the time, yeah. you know. Um, but, I mean, it was, we rode our bikes to the beach. We built rickshaws to carry our surfboards. <laughs> Dean Quinn was my next-door neighbor. So, I mean, we all learned to surf together. Yeah. You know. So, let's start at the beginning then. So, you, you, you obviously weren't surfing yet in Whittier. No, but okay. you know what? When when I was a kid, it was in the summer, yep. and so that got you into it. You know, you're skateboarding. My first skateboard had metal wheels; you couldn't turn it. You just went straight. That's you got to turn and slide. Yeah. Um, Did you make it yourself, or was it a store bought? Oh no, a store bought. Okay. I, you know what was it? Probably like five bucks back then. Were they? Was it called the Black Knights or something like that? I can't remember what it was. I, I just remember there was, was a red. brand I heard of and saw like. Um, collectors had them and they yeah. were yeah they were like metal wheels and clay wheels and it was like it was well we we uh sorry to interrupt but we interviewed uh mark richards at val surf yeah. and they used to have to like make them themselves make themselves they buy the skate you know roller, wheel, roller skate wheels and then cut saw the 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 base in half and then you know put both on and then they called the factory they're like hey can you just make these like this and yeah yeah, it was finally started making DYI way back in the day. It's crazy. He must be way older than me. <laughs> <laughs> so, he started a surf shop at 15, though. Did he? Yeah. It's crazy. So you got into skateboarding first and then surfing? And then surfing. My first board was at 88 Harbor that I uh-huh. bought at Frog House. And Frog House is already open. Yeah, it was before TK had it. Okay. But um, bought it there like 25 bucks. Crazy. Thing was, I mean, I was probably like 70 pounds carrying a 30-pound surfboard. Right. So were you already living in Huntington when you... Yeah. Okay. So was there shops on Main Street? Oh, yeah. You had George's was there, uh, Greek, Jack, um, Jack's was there, Jack Hoganson owned it at that time. Was mm-hmm. Wind & Sea over on Facebook? Uh, Wind & Sea was there. Yeah. In fact, the first time we started building our own surfboards, we'd go buy a kit, you know, buy foam, resin, everything. Yeah. And uh, go to Wind & Sea to pick it up. So, wow. so you're a Huntington guy, Huntington kid, and Frog House is Newport. So, was why did you go to Frog House and not somewhere on Main Street? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you heard there was a used board for twenty five bucks. You're yeah, like, I'm there. I don't know. That's where my mom's car drove. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. You know, but then after that, it was hanging around Chuck Dent because it was Jackson Chuck Dent. Yeah, and Randy Lewis was running the store. And uh, Randy Liss was running the Chuck Dent store. Yeah. Yeah. 
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay. Was... um. What was I thinking? Was George's there? Yeah. George's was there. Yeah. yeah. George's okay. was there. Yeah. I think he got it opened in probably early sixties. Yeah. And then, uh, so have you were what? 12, 13 years old when you, when you were starting to get into surfing and, and going into these surf shops, right? Yep. So what was it like walking into those stores back in the day? And how was like describe Huntington back then? Well, when you were a grom walking into some of the stores back then, they kind of gave you a little bit of shit, you know, early on, you know, unless you were trying to buy something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a lot slower, you know, and it, for sure not as crowded as it is today. Yeah. But, you know, back in the day, you didn't learn to surf by the pier. I learned at 12th Street. Yep. You know? If we ventured to the pier, we went to... Lake Street. Yeah. So and, and why is that? Because of locals. Pretty much. Have you heard loud it's time was time yeah. to move down the beach. <laughs> what, uh, so at twelve what what uh, junior high? What what were you going? I was Smith? going to Rancho, Rancho View, Rancho. which is Warner and uh, Beach Boulevard. Wow. Okay. So what part of Huntington did you live? On the north Yeah, well, side? I lived right across from Golden West College. Okay. Right there. Nice. Um, That's still a, a trek. From your yeah. house, I mean, because back then you used to ride your bike. To we used to ride our bikes, or one of our parents would give us a ride and yeah. drop us off and then come pick us up. Nice. But uh, And your first surfboard was at 88 Harbor, you said? 88 Harbor. Okay. And who did you, who was your surfing buddies early Well, on? at that time, it was my brothers, um, the Quinn brothers, Dean and Don Quinn. Okay. Uh, the Murray brothers. Um, but uh, that was our, our group that we hung out with. Yeah. Down at 12th Street. That's awesome. And then later on, as we started gravitating towards the pier, um, Buddy Lamas. Um, I met Sean Stussy when he was about 15, hanging out on the south side. And where, where was Sean Stussy from? Garden Grove or? I think he, I think it was I Garden think, Grove. Yeah, I think Garden Grove. Something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Oli Olson was his woodshop teacher, and Oli taught him how to shave. So, yeah, he was like 15 shaping boards for Chuck Dent. Yeah. And Ole is like a world-renowned, longboard, old-school shaper, right? Yeah, he was, he was the man back then. And he was like Maui too, right? Well, he left, he left Huntington and went to Maui. Okay. Sold yeah. his, his shop to Bruce Jones ah. down in Sunset Beach. Got it, got it. So yeah, crazy all the turnover and like, you know, like how many shops there were... Even back then, when surfing was still big, but it was primarily hard goods, you know, you didn't have all this other revenue streams with accessories and apparel and stuff, but like, 
Main Street had, I mean, a dozen shops in the 70s. For sure. Yeah. At least. Yeah. You know, like, and a surfboard factory or two yeah. on Main Street, right? Was Not it, on Main Street. It was, it was on Third Street. Was yeah. where Dino was? Okay. And Dino and Plastic, Plastic Fantastic, Fantastic, right? Yeah. yeah, I think they built out of the same spot. Okay. Which burnt down. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you I know. I was surfing the north side that day when it caught fire. It was pretty yeah. crazy. So you were in that period where you guys tra- were starting to transition from longboards to shortboards. When I got into it, yes. Yeah. And it literally happened like that. And okay. if you go into shortboards, you would have um, the full progression to change. You had the styles, animal tracks that um, Wayne Lynch and those guys were riding. And then eventually you had the Dick Brewer, the down rails that yep. kind of took over. Uh, that was the that was the big move, at least locally in Huntington. Everybody had to have a dick brewer down rail. That's funny. Do, do you think? I mean, because kneeboarding was around back then, right? Like, yes. You know, there was guys, and they're on obviously way different equipment because they're kneeboarding and they had to be small. Do you think like any shapers or guys have said like, I wonder if I could surf? like kneeboard or stand up on kneeboards because I know some people learned on them. Like yeah. we talked to some guests and they're like, my first board was like a kneeboard, you know, and I just rode that. And I was just wondering about like how the progression of riding something smaller going from, you know, a long board through that era, you know. We all used to ride. Dean Clary was uh, my roommate. And yeah. He's a kneeboard shaper, shaper right? and stuff. But we would take his boards out because those things were friggin' 22 inches wide, 5'8", you know, and you take them out on a small day and have a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, speaking of, like, fishes and kneeboards, didn't Steve Liss, he's kind of like one of the original dudes that made the fish twin fins? I think he's, he's pretty much, at least in my mind, the guy that most people would classify yeah. as a guy that David really took and blew it up. Yeah. From so are those um, the boards that Dave David Nueva used to ride. Steve David Liss? didn't ride Steve Liss's. Okay. I think people saw what he was doing and kind a lot of, of the guys down in in the Point Loma area. Okay, yeah, and he's from kind of grew from there. Yeah, um, I actually moved to Point Loma in '72. Really? Yeah, I graduated from high school. My parents had moved to San Diego. Um, I said I'm coming home. I served New Break every day for a couple months, and then. Back to Huntington. What a trip. Yeah. Um, well, I'm losing my train of thought. But so back to where you were, Grom, riding your bike to the beach. When did you feel like you were starting to get better and transition to more, you know, it went from longboards to shorter single yeah. fins, right? Yeah, we used to. But still the large six, six range, six, eight, or... I think it dropped to that, and then yeah. it would get down to about five, like five tens wow. and six foot, and then it shot back up again for a while, and then shot back down. I mean, it's always had its progression at different lengths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so crazy. So, who were the standouts like when you were, you know, fifteen, sixteen years old? Well, standouts for me would have been on the north side. You'd have, you know, Chris Hawk, um, John Davis. Clay uh, Brown, who you guys, oh. most people don't know who he yeah. is, but he was a, an amazing surfer that left town. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, Brad Bayless was somebody that was out there, was really good. Local guy from, surfed from Edison. 
Nice. Uh, Southside for me would have been um, Leroy Dennis, um, of course, Randy. Uh, the Worcester Brothers, there was Steve Worcester, was a really good surfer from Fountain Valley. Yeah. Now, were you starting to get into competition or? Never really. Back then, there wasn't really that much, right? WSA was really the, the only thing around. You had, in pro surfing, kind of fizzled a bit. Mm-hmm. You had a pro division that um, guys like David and Corky and a few of those guys surfed in it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I surfed a few contests. It wasn't my big thing. Yeah. Once I got into selling, um, working in the store, weekends I was working, that's when you made your money. Yeah. What, what about the city contest? You know, was that kind of, you know... Yeah, like city con. I think the best I did was second one year, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool though. I mean, because you know, like you said, there wasn't a lot of contests to be had, but the mm-hmm. city contest has been. I mean, I think it's been going on fifty years, close. It's gone a long time. Yeah. So, and I knew growing up as a kid myself that yeah, there was more competitions, but that was still like the one event you the wanted one cool to do. Event that yeah, you wanted, you wanted to do yeah. really well at. And you wanted to win. Yeah. Yeah. Lar brings it up because he won it once. Yeah. <laughs> a long, long, long time long ago. Time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah. tell us, uh, you know, you know, yeah, these guys are north side, these guys are on south side. Like, localism, and, and before, when you first started surfing, you, you started way down at 12th Street. Like, it, doesn't it, when you, when you reflect back and what you see, what we were ch- just talking about earlier, how insanely crowded... You know, the surf is nowadays. Back then, like, kind of tell us and, and our listeners like what it was like. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because um, you had your, you had to earn your way. You had to earn your way. You had your you had your boys that had their little spots, but you know, um, and guys were mean, right? Like there were definitely some mean guys out yeah. there. I mean, I worked in the store, and plus, I'm not very big. But uh, I couldn't be mean to the kooks because if I They're was, kind of, yeah. they weren't going to buy boards from me. But yeah, yeah. there was definitely guys that if, if a guy got in the way too much, they told him to go down the beach. Who yeah. are they? Who are they? Well, they're probably gone by now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Some of them are dead. Some of them are uh, yeah, locked up. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, we look at, the, yeah, like you said, the crowds. And like it was crowded back then. Right at the pier? Like, not today's, you know. It actually felt really crowded. Yeah. I I was out on the pier the other day uh, watching it, and I'm like, 90% in the water, people in the water wouldn't have been around the pier back then. Yeah. And and that's sad. Yeah. I mean, it. you know, you wish you had a little bit of that localism again. Not not like I want to go punch anybody, but just, you know, hey, you guys, you... These are better waves here, and this is the better surfers want these waves. You're not going to know the difference. Just go down the beach a little yeah. bit. You know, like, there's yeah. a yin and yang to the, <laughs> to the acceptance of of more people in the water. And right? I and I think the the waves around the pier are a little bit different than with this new pier than it was with the old pier back then. Mm. You know, um, I don't know if you ever heard somebody calling it the kitty bowl. Yeah. So you you had, calls it the kitty bowl. Yeah, you had yeah. the kitty bowl. So. A lot of the, the Groms came in that were good Grom surfers. They sat in the kiddie bowl while a bunch of us sat outside waiting for the the bigger sets. Yeah. Which we were the ones who were really lame. They're sitting there catching all the waves, and we're sitting there waiting 15 minutes for that one perfect set. 
Yeah. So we kind of cut you off, but how did you do in the WSAs? Like, did you like surfing contests? I kind of enjoyed it, but I, I never really got good at it. Um, there was a contest at Trussell's. In fact, the first contest at Trussell's was the Sutherland Pro in around 78. And I got second the first heat, got second in the third heat, second in the first and second heat. And in the third heat, I had Rabbit and... Um, Damn. What's his name from Spider? I can't think of his name right Dennis Jarvis? Dennis Jarvis. Sick. And I'm getting some good sets, and then next thing you know, I'd have them paddle around me. They'd paddle up to me, go, 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 go. And next thing you know, they'd be paddling around me. You know? <laughs> and I got, out of the, I got out of the water, and uh, a guy named uh, Dave Carson and Dave and Waver are standing there. And they go, what happened? You were winning the heat. And I go, I got... I got full on ganged up by both those guys. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Competition stiff, man. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Dennis Jarvis doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Good surfer. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's so, me. so um, did you ever get sponsored? So, when I was a senior <clears throat> in high school, I got sponsored by Infinity Surfboards. Sick. So, I was my first sponsor and uh, actually the first store I ever worked in. Infinity? Yeah. And who, who owned it then? Steve Bainey. Okay. He owned the store on Coast Highway. Right. So, yeah, it was kind of like moved down to San Diego and got tired of living at home. And then the guy running the store goes, yeah, come on in, move in with me. And I drove up. He's living in the back of the store. So, Well, let's talk about the shop that you worked at Chucked In. Right. Never worked at Chuck Down. Oh, no, just hung out. That was like the ground. That was the hangout. We all hung out. That was out. the hangout yeah. spot. Yeah. He just there was like, when I was a kid. Did yeah. you ever meet Chuck Dent, too? Oh, yeah. I knew Chuck. I partied with Chuck. Yeah. Crazy, and, crazy dude. Yeah. I've only heard a couple stories, and I've seen that one famous video clip of him talking. Is he sitting in a wheelchair or sitting in a chair? He was sitting in a wheelchair. That one that was in Five Summer Stories. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually, he had down where the restaurant is, that was Salt Buttons, and that was his clothing store on the beach. Wow. Salt Buttons? That was the name of it. Salt Buttons oh on the beach. Oh, my gosh. And he had a shop on Main Street? So he had shop? a shop on Main Street right next to Jack's. It's actually part of Jack's now. Wow. It was right next to Jack's. So how did, who was he chucked in? I don't know where he came from, to be honest with you, yeah. but he was a character. Yeah. I mean, did he, he was, surf? He surfed. He wasn't great. Yeah. You know, but he, he could surf. He was out there. Yeah. Nobody gave him shit because he was bigger and physically bigger than most of us. He was definitely an imposing looking dude. Yeah. But and he was like super outspoken. And but I think that was the draw to like everybody to hanging him. at the shop. He got yeah. the right personalities to hang that was the spot like you said when you were a kid that was a spot like when I was a kid even though we would hang at Robert August and right. went and see you know we had little groups of friends at different shops yeah. and stuff but yeah so like Chuck nobody hung out there because of Chuck it was Randy it was the guys that worked in the store then yeah you know because Randy was probably one of the best goofy fits around at one point in time you know and that's and he shapes boards and yeah. those are the boards that Bud Long got on and was ripping on remember his first board yeah buddy's board it was called it was had tadpole was on the board didn't say it didn't say randy lewis it said tadpole because that was his nickname back then wow randy lewis's nickname was tadpole? no that was that was buddy lamas yeah it was tadpole. tadpole wow back when he was like nine years old we had Bud on the show he never told us that oh my gosh 
he, he might be <laughs> might be dodging us. So, Infinity Surfboards was your first sponsor. Correct. Nice. Yeah. And what did that get you? Do you remember? Discount on a surfboard back then. They didn't yeah. give you anything back yeah. then. Yeah. When I when I started, that was started getting sponsored. Most of the time, they didn't give much of anything. Yeah. You know, because uh, the surfboard companies weren't making money like they did back in the '60s. Yeah. Those guys were making money hand over fist. Yeah. They yeah. were hitting the bit, the '60s boom where you know boards were well, Gidget, and yeah, Ride Demand, Wild Surf, and Jan and Dean. I'm sure those guys were elevating and making it trendy and. Whatever. Yeah, I actually, um, I worked in a glass shop for a while. I had a laminator that worked for Jacobs back in the 60s. Hap Jacobs. And he told me the amount of money he was making was stupid. It was all cash. Yeah. Crazy. You know, he'd, he'd work all summer and go move to Kauai for the winter. It's epic. So going back, you, you went down to San Diego. You were down there. Obviously, you grew up in Huntington, but we never really focused on how how important that pier is to to the draw of not just the quality of the wave but just the setup with it directly off of main street and how that like was a epicenter you know like the pier tourism the tourism and like what it was like back then it was like maxwell's was the the restaurant or golden bear golden bear like was there which was another huge draw for entertainment you know like there's a lot more going on than just like surf yeah. Well, was, sorry to butt in, but when before we started recording, you were talking about what Huntington was like, right? Like well, dudes that worked the oil fields, uh, hippies. Yeah, it was basically Main Street was surf shops, thrift stores, and bars. <laughs> and the bars are where all the oil workers, you know, work, uh, hung out in. And they were like cowboys. You know, they're... Guys, 60 years old, hanging out on Main Street with all those young guys with long hair and giving a shit. Rugged, buddy. Yeah. But uh, if you go back to the late 60s, early 70s, the U.S. Open is surfing WSA. Um, all All the ones, ESA, HSA, they all came together and they had their um, championships at Huntington. Must have been for a good 20 years. Um... And so all the Hawaiians started coming over and hanging out, you know, so summertime, no waves on the South Shore. They come and hang out at Huntington. Yeah. So you'd have Ipa and his crew and a little bit of uh, tension in the water once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to have those type of friendships, you know, especially if you're going over to Hawaii or, or, you know, East Coast or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Kind of icebreaker. Did you finish your story on, on the contest that... You, you went up against Rabbit? I just said they they basically uh, surrounded me. And oh, I, that's right. I stopped, smoked. I was like, yeah. yeah, they smoked me. Yeah. I, was I mean, yeah. I mean, that's competition. Either, you know, you're trying to get your competitors to catch, you know, inside waves or go to the, you know, like it's just. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is, um, you know, I, I watch a lot of YouTube and catch a lot of footage from back in the day of, of, OP Pro or like the contest you were talking about where dudes are wearing helmets, right? They're riding longboards and wearing helmets surfing the pier. Um, and that's kind of like around 
when you were a Grom, those, yeah. those times, right? And you probably went to those contests and watched them, right? Oh, yeah. We'd always go down and watch those contests. Yeah. Um, how was it, like, you know, we had local heroes and stuff that we were talking about, but then, you know, like you are talking about uh, Ben Ipa and, like, Rabbit. They all used to come to Huntington, right? They all came to Huntington. You had uh, uh, Michael Ho, um, Larry Berlman, um, trying to think of all the, those guys. But they'd come and hang out. Half of them would sleep on my, my floor. How funny. You know, come and hang out for a week. Yeah. And then we'd go and hang out at their place That's for insane. a month. Yeah. So, I bet they would, they would love not just coming here, but the... The girls on the beach, the atmosphere, the oh, fun yeah. in the clubs, you know, like all the parties. Yeah. The well, that's why they came here. Yeah. The, the keggers, the kegger parties. Yeah. They came, they wanted me, all the girls. And of course, they were Hawaiians and the girls wanted to see them. So. Yeah. How funny is that? Like the kids of, of today and in the future are never going to go to a kegger party. <laughs> <laughs> a nooner? A nooner. Yeah. I mean, how fun were the kegger parties? Come on. Still are. Let's go. Let's get one. It's Friday night. Pony keg. Yeah. I don't know. Our kids have places to go. Yeah. Yeah. So so tell us. Uh, okay. You're a good surfer. You get sponsored. Your first industry job was selling boards in Infinity Surf. Okay. And where? Which one was that? That where was the store? Yeah. It was on um, Main Street right now. Oh no, it's on Coast Highway. It's where Sessions, the sandwich place, is. Got it. Crazy. And you worked um, all week or just weekends? Or? I worked uh, like Wednesday through Sunday. Because <laughs> back then in the wintertime, you were lucky if you sold anything Monday, Monday through Friday. Yeah. So uh, you, how did you get the job? Um, I moved in the back of the store. <laughs> then I was the Grom hanging out, cleaning the store, working lunch hours so somebody could... Uh, surf, surf, do that. So it started doing that. Yeah, you know, doing ding repairs in the back. Next thing I know, I'm in the, in selling surfboards. And who were the customers back then? Was it like tourists or mostly just locals trying to like up, upgrade a board? Like how you know? Like Most of it back then were guys that wanted to get into surfing, but yeah. they're all local guys. Um, Wasn't much tourism. Not not a ton of tourism. This is prior to when the Japanese market came over and. We started selling a ton of boards to the Japanese. But, um, yeah, just a lot of local guys would come in, a lot of custom boards. Everybody wanted a custom. That's true. Um, it's funny the way you were telling that story. You, you you had to, like, work your way in to get a job. Yep. Right? Like, you were working for free, basically. Right? Yep. And then, okay, this kid's cool. We're going to let him sweep the floors. Oh, we're going to let him fix some dings. Oh, he's kind of a good kid. We're going to let him work the floor. Yeah. And back then, that was surfboards. We sold surfboards. It wasn't yeah. much of anything else. We sold Infinity T-shirts and used boards and wetsuits. And the, my pay back then was, what was it, $10 a day, $5 a board. The first board sale didn't count. $2 a used board and a dollar a wetsuit. Wow. That's how we got paid. Wow, that's crazy. So it'd be plenty of times if you worked Monday through Friday in the wintertime, you made like 55 bucks. So crazy. <laughs> Which is yeah. a lot of money for a 15, 16-year-old. Yeah. 
<laughs> but well, you know, my, my rent was thirty five dollars a month, so it was pretty cheap. Yeah. But you're you know you're hanging you know. There's no probably other place you'd rather hang. You know, oh, like, how, that was, was great. That was how it. old were you when your parents moved down? Actually, well, I was 17 when I started selling boards. But okay, my parents moved to San Diego when I was a senior in high school. Oh wow! Yeah, but you stayed here, or did you go down? Stayed here. Wow, you had instant. Uh, what do they call that? Independence. We did, dude. Me and my brother had an apart had an apartment, and then we moved home because. We served Newbrick for the first time on Christmas Day, and we went, uh, we were blown it. <laughs> oh, where's Newbrick? Newbrick is at Sunset Cliffs. Okay. And it's probably one of the best waves in California. And yeah. when you go out, when you get in the middle of the week back then, before Cal West, oh, it's, it's Point Loma yep. College. I mean, I'd paddle out with the right tide with four guys out. So crazy. Are you goofy foot or regular? Regular foot. Nice. Surf abs if you're goofy. So sick. Was there like any like shop rival rivalries on, on Maine? Like, you know, like chucked in against like George's or George's against I th- I Lewis. think I think there was always that rivalry who sold more boards than the next like, guy. Who had more boards in the lineup. Like, yeah. Because that it, was and it was always that. And I would I'd always get like George Draper from Georgia's. Yeah. He'd walk in the store and he goes, How'd you do today? Goes, oh, I sold three boards. And he goes, oh, I did seven. And then you'd go, Fuck it, I gotta sell more. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta get working, you know. You gotta one up this guy. Yeah. So boom. You said you worked at uh, at the surfboard factory too? Um, so after Infinity, I went to Sunline Surfboards on on Main Street. Yeah. And then one of the owners had bought a, a surfboard factory, and they needed a, a hot coater. So that's when I got into hot coating and uh, hot coating and polishing. So you knew how to fix boards, and then you learned another trade? Yep. Okay. So good side hustle that turned into a, a new job. Turn in a new job, and yeah. you had that job that you didn't have. That got to open the store at ten o'clock and work till six. You could go in early and surf in the afternoon, or go in late and surf in the morning. I think that was what, what was appealing to a lot of the guys that worked in the shop that ended up doing digging repairs or working in the factory is the freedom you had yeah. because it was by, you know, how much work you put in. So if it's you like had four work, yeah, piece work. Like piece you work. could yeah, surf. Yeah, you could surf because <clears> there wasn't like a set schedule. Like as long as you got it done, but. You couldn't just put that resin, you know, you had to have right conditions, you, you know, you couldn't do it in, you know, super cold days, right? It had to, was it, was it trick, trick with the, like the setting of the yeah, resin? Yeah, I mean, the winter time it gets cold and yeah. you get in the glass shop, it could be 50 degrees, 55 in the building and you're putting the resin right in front of a heater to warm it up and then you go into the factory in the middle of summertime where it's 100 degrees out and then you're putting it in the refrigerator to cool it off because so i can only imagine so, but yeah, everybody has one board back then you know and if you got a ding you're there trying to get a loaner or borrow somebody's and you're you know there's no time to wait you want that that board fixed oh yeah we so were doing pressures ding- on for ding repairs yeah we we're doing them right in the back of the shop there at one point in time yeah and then surf leashes came about and then we started putting leash plugs in the back. It's like somebody would buy a board or somebody would go, had hey, any uh, surf leash plug, and we'd go back and uh, drill it real, real quick, drop it in, and the guy would walk out and be back in the water in an hour. 
that's the first upgrade right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a leash plug. What, leash plug. what would that set somebody back if they bought a boar and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I could go get a leash plug put in? Back then it was like only a buck. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was pretty cheap. But again, a buck was a lot more back then. Yeah. Surfboards were like 99 bucks. So. so what was that surfboard factory called? That I worked in? Yeah. It was actually the Sunline factory. Okay, it Sunline. was We took over a factory that was called the Surfboard Factory. Yeah. And Sunline became electric chair, right? Yeah. Eventually. So, so Bill Denny, I think you guys yep. know okay. Bill. Yeah. Bill and his partners sold to Abdul. And then eventually Sunline. And then electric chair was a spot right next to a little closet there that um, Mike Roach from uh, TSOL. Okay. He started it. He started electric chair? Started electric chair. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Crazy. And then from there, they moved their location down to the corner. And then electric chair became more important than um, sunlight. Yeah. So you moved down to San Diego with your parents. Right. Because you fell in love with Newbreak. How long were you there for? And why did I leave? <laughs> no, I was there two months. And then I got tired of when you lived on your own and you moved back in the yeah. house with yeah. you know, rules and four four boys and rules and big family. Yeah, yeah. Where do you sit with the family? I'm, well, there's actually five of us, and I'm right in the middle. Wow. Okay. I'm that guy. As I told my dad one day, <laughs> he just flipped off the microphone. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you you realized I can't live under my parents' roof. You moved back to Huntington. Yeah. Okay. Now, how old were you? 17, 18? 17. Wow. And then you already graduated high school? Graduated high school. Are you, were you a good student? I was okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I never went to college. So like, you never went to I college? Had, no, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. But you're one of the most successful businessmen in our industry, so... We still have a chance, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work. Yeah. Okay, so so then what? What happened? Came back. You ha- did you have a job lined up or were, you know a place to live? Like obviously you can had nothing. Nothing. You're just like I had my I had my old Falcon car. That was it. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'll just sleep in the car, find somebody's couch until I figure it out. Like yeah, yeah. Well, the surf shop. The guy in the store goes, you can live with me. Sick. So I lived there for. Two months, and then I moved behind the surf theater, which wow. is there. I'm trying to think. There's the um, historical house back there. Well, there's a, there's two apartments right above the garage, and from my bathroom you could check out the north side. Sick. So the little one bedroom apartment I I rented with another guy it was sixty five bucks a month. Damn. So my share is thirty two. And uh, you'd get up in the morning, use the bathroom, and look out the window, and go, "Fuck, okay, I got to get out." Yeah, yeah. looking good. Oh, and then good old days. Only a little walk, and I was there. Yeah. So um, you were talking about like leashes, and and I've talked to to dudes like uh, Tippy and Steve Wee, and some of the older guard of Huntington in in Southside parking lot. And one day we were talking about, you know, the, the progression of surfing, you know, like what, what is, what, uh, what were the factors or what are the factors of the progression of surfing from, from their standpoint? And uh, it was funny 
I think it was uh, Tippy, right? Brandon Tipton's yeah. dad. He goes, Dennis. Dennis goes, dude, leashes, leashes progress surfing. Yeah. I go, what? Because I didn't really think about it. He goes, well, you know, when we surfed, we never tried to do big things. Or when, and when we did, we would fall. And then we would have to swim all the way to the beach to get our boards back. So once the leash, you know, came about, we started doing more things, more radical things, because we would lose our, our boards. Yeah, the leash is... And I, and I think that had a lot to do with surfing around the pier, too. Because before leashes, <laughs> um, you lose your board, you snap it on the pier. I broke a couple back then without a leash. <laughs> yeah. You got surfed opposite side. Let the current take it away. That's exactly what but it the was. Good, yeah. But the good, sometimes the good ones are going straight into the pier. Lyndon wouldn't know that. He surfs down the beach. But <laughs> us, us pier bull guys, we know, we know what we're talking about. Easy yeah. kitty bowl. <laughs> you go to the, you go to the south side on North Wales and, uh, yeah, uh, what is it? North side on South Wales. Yeah. 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 South North side is better in the winter, and then South side's better, or is that the opposite? It's opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way the sand like guts out, you know, but yeah, just depends on as well. So you're working, you you worked at the shop, then you start uh, hot coating surfboards. Then what happened? At that point in time, when I got into the glass shop, um, that's pretty much where I went. That became my career till for a while. But I don't know. I've been in the in the glass shop for about a year, and I get a phone call from Bill Denny, and he said, "Hey, my brother-in-law needs a partner in the store. Why don't you go in partnership with him?" And so I called Carl Hayward, and that's when we opened the store. Damn, right down on Main Street. See, I never knew you were part owners of Carl Hayward. At the very beginning, in, what was it, 78, we opened the store, 79. And I was partners with him for about two or three years. And then it re- kind of reached the point was like, we were great, great partners and great friends. And we were both kind of going different directions. And so, you know, I told Carl, if you want to buy me out, buy me out. Yeah. Set the, tell me what you want to pay me. So whose idea was it to go into business together? You guys just... Bill Denny. Bill Denny called me and said, hey, why don't you talk to Carl? He needs a partner. Wow. So that basically Carl, what it was. Carl Hayward is famous shaper. Yeah. Yep. Huntington Beach shaper. Um, you, did you guys open it up together? Yeah, we opened it together. Okay. It was one of these things. Hey, Carl, you need a partner? He yeah. Goes, yeah. So he wanted he, he, he wasn't business minded. He just wanted to shape. He needed somebody that had experience running the shop. And so I was came a face. In, I came in with that, and we both came in. We each came in with like three thousand dollars a piece, yeah. and we opened the store. And uh, you and you hadn't owned your own business yet. That no. was your first that was own business venture. Firm, yeah. And and what was it like? Like what what happened? It only lasted three years. Uh, well, my partnership with Carl was about three years in the store. Okay. And then um, we still kept a partnership. We actually had a uh, glass shop down on 17th Street for a while. We did all the store ding repairs. We did all the team boards. Carl would run a board through here and there. Yeah. Um, but it was a little shack that yeah that was just classic. And where was the location at, like on Main? It was the store. Yeah. Uh, Basically, at that time, we had the alley, oh, the, um, Jacks the Jacks building. building. Yep. We were on the opposite. We were on the end, right next to the, the alley. Kirk's. Yeah, 
Not no, birds, no. no. It was it was actually Dino Surfboards before we okay. moved, we took it over. And then you had the alley, then with Sunline, then you had Perks. Got it. So when when you guys um, sat down and figured out your business plan, right? That wasn't much anything. Quotations. It, it was like, hey, you want to open a store? Let's open a store together. Yeah. And so what were you? What were your first things on the top of your list to do? Pay my thirty-two dollars in rent, have enough money for beer, and <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> Could you let the man tell the story? Come on. <laughs> I'm sure it's more interesting than that. Yeah, I mean, all we did is go in and go, oh, we need new carpeting and let's put some surfboard racks up. Yeah. And that was about it. Yeah. Did and then think about making t-shirts and hats and... Oh, yeah. Okay. We had, uh, you know, Michael Kikuchi? I don't know. It's Kuchi. is an old timer. Oh, Kikuchi. Kikuchi. Yeah. Kikuchi. Kawaii yeah. Kikuchi's dad. Yeah. Okay. Um, he was actually selling for a, a t-shirt factory, a printer. No way. And uh, he, was, he was selling us our t-shirts. So we had the Carl Hayward t-shirts. Um, what I did is basically with $6,000, you have no money to do anything. <laughs> so I started calling everybody I knew, the um, fiberglass fin company, uh, leash guy, and said, hey, I don't have any money, but could you give me terms? And uh, next thing you know, we had most of the stuff we needed. Yeah, in this store to run this store. See, it's all about connections. Yeah, it's all about I, networking. I, I love that part of the um, business side that people don't hear. You know, yeah. like because you know you walk into a store and you don't think about how it all comes about, right? And I, I find it interesting because that's what we've done all our lives. But it you know coming from someone who started their own without any you know experience whatsoever. Like all those things that you you have to do and think about and plan for, you know, when you there there's there's people that really plot it out, and then there's people that just say, "Fuck it, we're gonna do it whenever we need to do it." Right? Yeah. So, in in the thing is, you you're just running it on the seat of your pants. Yeah. And we got like ten dozen T-shirts, Carl Hayward T-shirts in and. Uh, it's what was it August and uh, they weren't selling that quick so I dropped the price t-shirts back then were six ninety nine, something like that so we put them at uh, five ninety nine or four ninety nine, and we started selling the shit out of them and Ron from Jack's comes down the screen and says you shouldn't be selling your t-shirts too cheap and we're like dude we gotta get rid of them you yeah. don't have Carl here with t-shirts I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. like stealing your t-shirts but then my wife, at that, um, she was going to uh, Orange The smart one. Yeah, the smart one. <laughs> now, she might not be that smart. She married me. Um, oh, you're she, right. She, <laughs> she was going to Orange Coast College, and she goes, you know how many Carl Hayward t-shirts I see at school? That's cool. Wow. And I'm like, dude. Yeah, mission marketing, accomplished. Marketing. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Made money, and people saw it. Who yeah. who designed them? And you bought them from Kikuchi. Yeah, from Kikuchi. I think the art was originally done by a guy named um, was this uh, Ron Mayfield. His, his nickname was Sniffer, <laughs> and he was the guy who did all the signage around town. How funny! So he was. I think he did the first logo for Carl. How funny! And then Carl did the colors and everything at that point in time. Yeah. And 
Hayward lasted a long time, right? Like yeah, I think we I think Carl had the store might have been up to ten years, and then Huntington, the Main Street, the redevelopment, they paid him money to move, so then he moved to San Clemente, and he did good right out of the gate, but then the localism of San Clemente kind of killed him. Got it. Wow, what a move to go from like Huntington to San Clemente when yeah. you built the name, yeah. you know, because back then. There's very few board makers that were distributing up and down the coast. It was like, you come to my shop, like yeah. that's where I sell. It's kind of where it's going back to now to fast forward is you don't, you know, there are the big brands that, you know, distribute, but it's going back to ordering out of the factory and online, you yeah. know, more custom shapes, not so just stocking the shelves. It's kind of come full circle again, which is interesting, but still super difficult for these guys to, yeah. you know pull it off yeah i sell a lot of four dollar 99 cent t-shirts yeah well back (laughs) back then it was there was probably 10 local uh surf shops and george's was the only one that sold boards from out of town yeah and what what boards would you guys see like gns like gns aloha or wait uh not aloha tnc or like any of the other hawaiian most of me gordon smith yeah um Hanson. Hanson. Uh, I'm trying to think who else would be back then. Can't remember. Some, yeah. Winded Sea was a big yeah. board manufacturer here. They had right? a pretty good they had a pretty good deal and um, now did they originate from here or from down south? I don't know. I th- I just remember them from here. Yeah. yeah, me too. Do you remember when they had sand in the floor? Yeah. The what what would what spot was that? It was next to Wimpy's, right? Yeah, across the street. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we're it's HQ. That no, part of town. Per, it's further down. It's actually, I want to say, isn't it a dirt lot there now? Is that past uh, Sancho's Tacos then? It's right there in the Sancho t- Tacos. I think it was actually next door. Okay. No, you're right. I think it was. I think you're it was right. HQ. No, it's HQ. where HQ is. Yeah. yeah. It was HQ because yeah. it was behind the um, Reds. You know, the other, well, there was an alleyway, and then there was a historic building that's still there. Yeah. Where Jim Hall lived in. Because where Jax is, and then Sessions is, and then Eldon Liquor, then there was a gap, and then it was Wimpy's. Yeah, there used to be, and then there was, at one time, on the corner, was Plastic Fantastic Surfboards. Got it. And then uh, Steve Walden was around the corner. So it's like a lot of people started at Huntington. Yeah, I didn't know Steve Walden was a Huntington guy too. Yeah, I think I think he went to Huntington High School. What a trip! So were the shapers because you know like a, you know again there was a dozen surf shops which were primarily surf shapers you know showrooms or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it was was everybody trying to compete for that same customer in the same board or or like people having like their own unique like board concept that kind of made it different from some of the other guys you know like robert august was long board but he did dabble in he short, did boards, short boards you know because yeah. he had a you know bud lamas model at one point too well he actually had a good strong shortboard business yeah because it long boards kind of got out of fashion and he had to kind of even re-evolve. even the guys that couldn't really serve yeah weren't riding long boards they were just riding blown up yeah eight foot uh short boards but and I, Robert was pretty big at that. Big, yeah. yeah. And 
Randy Lewis, Carl Hayward. Everybody had their own style. Randy, yeah. to me, had pretty distinct style from, say, um, a Carl and and uh, Steve Bainey. Yeah. Um, Chris Hawk. Yeah. You know, Hawk had his own style. Yeah. And Infinity is from Dana Point originally, or was it? No, they're here. They're Huntington originally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Steve had his first store was that one, and then he moved down south. Okay. And eventually sold the store to Jerry Small. And then uh, Jerry wound up losing the store. And now there's only one of them. Yeah. So going back when you were a Grom and, and like some of the local stars, right? Like David Nueva, the Corky Carroll. Corky's pretty much was gone by then. Was by the time I was, he was around, he was the guy, but he wasn't so much around here. Okay. David was big South Swell. David was out here. Um... You know, I like David. I like watching David, but I still had other guys that I prefer watching. Yeah. Who were the other guys? Uh, Leroy Dennis was oh, a really right. good surfer. Of course, um, uh, Randy Lewis. Um, of course, on the north side was always watching uh, John Davis. Yeah. He was like the mayor of the north side. Yeah. Um, what about... Um, was Bobby Nishi your age? or Nishi's younger than me. Okay. And the first time I actually ever saw Nishi, he had, he was out surfing right around Christmas time. Some girl, and I mean, Nishi was probably, I don't know, 11 years old or something. He's on a board with absolutely no rocker. And he's, he's sitting in there and some girl leans over and says, Bobby, what are you doing? He goes, I'm surfing. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, come on, kid. You're not even surfing. And, and he couldn't surf very good. When I met him, he couldn't surf at all. Yeah. And then later on, you know, Nice was one of the boys hanging out, and he was Charger. Yeah. yeah. I got to uh, bring up a YouTube clip that popped up, and it's 1975 skateboarding in Huntington Beach, mm-hmm. and it has Nishi in it, like ripping. And he's like 12 or 13 years old, barefooted, you know, and cut off denim shorts, no T-shirt, but he's zipping up and down the street. And you remember on Northside where there used to be like the a little ramp? Yeah. We all used to skate it. The asphalt yeah. bump. Uh-huh. They were showing that and like all these kids. And that's a trip about like looking back in the past and talking about the past. Because there's so many similarities of what happened then to what's happening now. You know, to different degrees, which is kind of interesting to me but um i don't know where i'm going with that story <laughs> but uh yeah bobby nishi was another like huntington beach local legend right and um you know when you go to hss and you walk up the above java point okay they still have those old photos of of, of uh of pier, the, the pier the and just like local heroes and there's definitely a bunch of dwight duns and i'm bummed because I've never seen you surf in person. And now now that you're, you know, surfing again, I can't wait to see you anyways. But, um, all right. So, now that you've finished, you, you dissolved the partnership with Hayward? Yes. Okay. Made some money? Not much. Yeah. It just kind of gave him the store. Because yeah. we wanted to walk away friends. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could walk away from a relationship like that and not like each other. We walked away. It was like, Carl, tell me what we got in inventory and pay me when you can. Yeah. It took, nice. him, it took him a couple years, but he paid me. And, yeah. You know, we hung out and 
the God did, father of one of his kids and everything since. Did you have another job lined up? Oh no, I was already. We were actually in the glass shop uh, building boards together. Okay. And the store was a side project. Wow. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I was working there. I had guys working in the store. And, well, it's uh, kind of like the perfect setup, right? Because you had the factory where you built the boards and you had the shop where you sold the boards. Right. So that's a perfect business model. Yeah. Right? So when we opened the store, the store's not going to make you any money when you don't have any money. And so it's just really, it's reinvesting everything in it. So how Carl and I made money is Carl shaped the boards and I glassed. But I, as a glasser, I glassed everybody's boards. Other brands. Infinities. I did everybody's boards back then. Yeah. Um, glassing factories. Bob Hurley's. Yeah. Glassing factories kind of made good money, right? It was a good business. It was a good business. Yeah. I mean, you know, I made, I, I could go in and do 10 boards if I got in early and knock them out in four hours and be back down surfing. So yeah. was that your business? You owned? I didn't own the glass okay. shop at that that time. Okay. I didn't own that glass shop. Then Carl and I had the one little shop down here that we kind of shared in together. Okay. So. Now, did you ever get into shaping? I tried shaping a few times. Yeah. But, Why not? Uh, you're in the mix. You yeah, know, you're yeah. watching it. You know, wouldn't it just kind of test your water to see if it worked? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I was too busy having fun and, and yeah. shaping was at that time. I, at the time, Steve Bainey was teaching me. I wasn't mentally into shaping. Mm. So um, there was enough shapers anyway. Yeah. And then a couple years later, I became a glosser. So. so crazy. So what See, was like the weekends like? You know, you guys worked. I mean, you, life evolved around the surf when it was good. It's not good. You work a little bit more. When it is good, you take time off. That's why you're, you know, you're investing your time in these businesses. But like we keep hearing like the days, the ages of the golden bear and then, you know, and then like the, the movie theater when everybody would be coming like, you know, big premieres be coming through. Yeah. That, now, when the surf theater um, would launch a new movie, I still remember Big South Swell. We used to get blackballed. I don't know if you guys knew about blackball. They blackballed from 11 to 5. And so they had... They still do that. Yeah. <laughs> it but, was... But... Go ahead. Southside. They, they blackballed Both North sides. Side. Wow. Both sides. Yeah. Holy they shit. would stay be down there. There was actually a riot one time when everybody's like, fuck you guys. We're going out. It's, it's 5.15. We're just going out. And all the lifeguards came down and tried to clear the beach it was it was pretty mayhem oh. but um i think it might have been pacific vibrations the movie yeah the premiere they were lined up down around wimpy's around wind and sea and uh just to get in and there wasn't enough seats for it and and i just remember southwell five o'clock we're in the water yeah you know we'll see the movie in a week yeah yeah <laughs> How sick was it that there was a surf movie theater yeah. back in the day? And, you know, actually what used to happen is they'd premiere movies at Huntington High School. Because wow. you had a bigger amp. Uh, yeah. Right next to the, the, the football stadium. Yep. It was pretty big. And I think um might have been Jimi Hendrix died. Or um, one of them died. And the guy completely changed the soundtrack. Because the soundtrack wasn't in the movie, huh. he played the soundtrack separately. 
What a trip. They played a bunch of, you know, maybe it was Jim Morrison, one of them, because they all kind of died around the same time. Yeah, crazy. And then what about the Golden Bear? Like, how, you know, like, you guys had friends that worked there, you knew the bouncer, how, like, you know, prior well, to, like, being 20, you know? Were you, yeah. Um, were you no, guys in? Actually, I, no, I didn't. I actually had to pay to get in. Yeah. But <laughs> I do remember when, by the time I was working in the stores, you'd always get passes to get in for free. Yeah. And, uh... Back in the day, what was I'm trying to think of the movie that Sam Hawk was Sam and Al were huge in it, uh, Big Wednesday at Pipe. Oh wow! And uh, he would show up every night with a different girl. <laughs> Have to Stead. see. That's me. Just wait till people start screaming for him. <laughs> it's good old days. Good old days. Uh, Beer bottles rolling down the aisle. Yeah, yeah. But they pack it in. I, they would people would sit in the aisles. It wouldn't. It, it wouldn't be limitations. Yeah, I, I hope we get to that kind of uh, surf stoke in the future. You know. Yeah, I know. I'd go. <laughs> you would go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talk about how you know, just seeing it on the big screen, all the energy in the in the crowd. You know, just the credits on how the place would be erupting. Like you said, people be cracking beer, smoking weed. Like it would just, you know, you're around. Everybody in there, you know, or or is a fan. You know, when you go to regular theaters, you're just with a bunch of strangers. Like it feels like a community-driven like an event. You know, right. I miss. You know, I was pretty young and it kind of faded out by when I was a teenager. I remember going to a few, real young. Yeah. But man, it was just it's a different time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I saw Surfers the movie at the Surf Movie Theater in Huntington. 90? Yeah. Yeah. I think. Is that right? Or, or did I see it in Newport? I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe Lido. Maybe the Lido Theater. Yeah. Probably Lido Theater. Yeah. Um, what was like, you you know, your first like overseas or, or, or surf trip that you, yeah. you went on and like who with? Um, well, my first was always going back and forth to Hawaii. Because yeah. once you, once you met all the boys, then you go over and stay with one of them. And I traveled, my, well, my roommate, Dean Clary, we would go and uh, stay in Kailua and drive out to Velsgeland every day with the boys. So yep. it was, back then, it was pretty localized at Velsgeland. Yep. And uh, they had a dirt parking lot you could park in, but you had to be one of the boys to park there. Yeah. And so we'd pull in, me and Dean would pull in with um, Hans Hederman, usually Hans or Buzzy Kerbox. Um, the Cavallo uh, brothers and um, and Michael Ho, we'd all pull in that little area. Yeah, and that was my protection. I'm with them. I'm with them. <laughs> I'm with them. I'm protected. <laughs> I'm protected. And you only got lefts out there? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> only That's got fun. Out yeah, there? No. I did get some lefts out there. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. I love I've that surfed spot. It. I've surfed it a couple times. Yeah, way back in the day, that yeah. place is. I think the first place. time I paddled out, there was a. Um, good surfer from Hawaii, Tom Stone, and uh, he was surfing the lefts, and he was the only one surfing lefts that day. Good surfer. Yeah. Kind of got blackballed. Right. Yeah, he stole the camera from, I think that was the story, he stole the camera from uh, one of the photographers, broke in his car, did something, that was a rumor. Boo-boo. Yeah, he went from, it was, it was literally him and Lopez at Pipe, and then all of a sudden it was 
love concert pipe. What a trip. Because, like, his Tom Stone stopped stopped getting his picture in the magazine. Blackballed. Blackballed. Blacklisted. Yeah. Don't still surf racks. Yeah. So, after the glass factory, then what happened? Probably to make it go a little bit faster. So, when I was glassing boards, Bob Hurley calls me one day and said, Hey, I need help with my surfboard business. Billabong's starting to take too much of my time. Wow. So for a year, I helped Bob run his surfboard business, his wholesale business. And after a year, he goes, he goes, hey, I know you want out of resin. He goes, I got a job for you at Hurley, uh, Billabong if you want. Yeah. And I said, sure. He goes, I can't pay you very much. And I go, that's okay. So I started there and I glassed in the evenings or the weekends at Waterman's Guild and um, the rest is history. And what, what did he have you do? Like, what was your first job with Bob at, at Billabong? My first job at Billabong was quality assurance. So I, we had three ladies that would actually inspect and trim all the, all the product before it would go on the shelf. And then I'd have to Because it was all made here. It was all made in L.A. And so it started doing that. And within a couple of weeks, I was in L.A. three days a week, walking sewing lines, going to dye houses, going to... Uh, fabric printers where you had no experience whatsoever had no experience but you just knew what finished product should look like and if you saw errors or or you know okay let's backtrack a little bit so he called you to run his surfboard business right right Uh, so what does that mean like taking phone calls oh no back then i was still glassing boards but what it was is bob would get the orders and he had ghost shapers he either shaped them or he had ghost shapers. And what I did is I just got them airbrushed, got them glassed. You kind of hit them and shipped them. That was it. Yeah. I ran. You ran the production. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then. I was the delivery boy to HSS. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then as Billabong started taking off, obviously you and Bob got along really well, right? Yeah. You had a good rapport. You worked well together. Yeah. And he, he, he saw that, dude, this guy's kind of, you're. You've got a method to your madness. You're, you know, you, you can execute projects, right? Yeah, I think, you know, I wasn't, I'm going to say probably wasn't the first, because I do know a couple of other people, but the idea of having to drive to downtown LA and walk sewing lines, <laughs> they, they, Joe Knirschild, do you guys know Joe yeah. K? Joe K was my boss. Okay. And so Joe took a couple of the guys up there and the guy goes, oh, I'll do this for a while. No, he goes, no, you're going to do this forever. <laughs> the guy's like, no, don't want the job. So then I got the job. Okay. But uh, yeah, Joe, Joe showed me the ropes. And there was, I knew nothing about sewing, yeah. but Joe had certain things you had to do. You had to check the waist. You had to check all the stitching. So I'd spot check product in, in the uh, factory. Okay. Had to walk the sewing line. Now, where did Joe get his experience? Um, he learned it, well, he learned it from, um, Gordon Merchant initially. Okay. So Gordon, he went over, those guys showed him what to do. And then as time went on, we had to find a pattern maker and that, and there was the gentleman that actually started Lucky Brand Jeans as a pattern maker Mm -hmm. was our original pattern maker. And he's the guy who taught Joe a lot. So so for, for those in listeners Billabong is an Australian company that was started by Gordon Merchant, and Bob Hurley was a licensee. And he 
created Billabong USA. Yes. Right? And then, I mean, what employee number are you in Billabong? Well, on my... USA. So Bob always likes to tell everybody I'm employee number one. My paycheck said employee number five. (laughs) So, yeah, employee number five. But what a Which cool, is a big deal. I mean, what yeah. a cool experience for you, not just, you know, because you get to work with your, you know, your buddy Bob, but, you know, you've, you've, you've kind of dialed a, hey, I've worked in the surf shop, the surf factory, and now you get experience in, like, the apparel. Did you feel like maybe I'll just suck it up for a while if this works out great? If not, then maybe that's just another, you know, like, you know, you don't know what it's going to be like until you try it. But I, I actually had no plans. Yeah, my plan was: is I like this, I'm going to do it. We'll see where it goes. So quality assurance, because at the time, Quicksilver was, you know, making a play. You had, you know, like Maui and Sun, maybe not so early. Gotcha. Maui and Sons was around. A gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, a little um, later. But there was other opportunities within the industry if you, you know, felt yeah. like you got some experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so how long did you do? Do quality assurance for? Uh, did that for about six, seven years. Mm. You know, downtown LA a lot. And then... You put a lot of miles the, on the car, huh? Oh, yeah. Traffic wasn't that bad back then, though, right? Or was it still shitty? Or we already? thought it was shitty. Yeah. yeah. And then... It, it, well, I get up there... Well, before COVID, yeah, it was... You'd drive up there going, oh, shit. Yeah. I don't know how he did this. Um yeah, it was probably 45 minutes, then an hour, then an hour and a half, yeah. <laughs> then two hours, and then... But I'll tell you, we had... There's definitely perks. I'm, back in the day, you know the blended board shorts? We had them table printed. And we had a table printer in, in Santa Barbara. What's the blended board short? So the... It, it's um, the gradient. You'd have like red, oh. yellow, blue, yeah, yeah, yeah. all of that. So we actually had the fabric printed in Santa Barbara. Okay. And so peak season, we'd, we'd hit Rincon. Nice. So about once a week, once every two weeks, load the van full of 5,000 yards of fabric. But the waves aren't going to be good for that three more days. No, you got to go now. <laughs> no, it's like, you got to go to Rincon. Yeah. Bob would go, hey, let's go out and see um, Ten Lines. We'll go talk to the boys. Leave at 4.30. Surfer Incon, go up, do business, come back, Surfer Incon. So, so let's shit off at the factory. Take us back to an office day with Joe K, you, Bob, who, who, I mean, you know what I mean? Like back then, your group of surfers, did Bob go to college? Bob did go to college. I don't know if he. Actually graduated. graduated, but yeah, he did go to college. Okay, school teacher. Yeah. So yeah, he went to college. So so, you know, like, you guys are not super well educated, but you're. My point is, you guys are surfers, right? Right. That are in this small little business venture, right? And and in the in the in the beginning stages, right? You your quality assurance. And there's so many moving parts to this billabong machine, right? And when you start seeing the orders, the volume, the numbers, you know, the dollar signs in this small little company, right? I mean, 
that must have been like, whoa, what, what, what are we doing here? And you know, where is this going, right? Because you like, like Laura was saying, you see Quicksilver making a big push, and they're blowing up, and you know, they might have been public already, right? When when we actually started, Quick had been around about ten years yeah. here. And yeah. Gotcha was probably five years, something like that. Yeah. Um, they were always the big targets you wanted to shoot at. Yeah. And um, now, were you confident at the start there, like, or you were just going for it? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, th I think we were all confident in what we were doing, but at the same time, you know, when you look back now, you kind of go, "Whoa, what do we do?" Yeah. But you had Hot Tuna. Remember the brand? Yeah. Hot yeah. Tuna? That was. There was all mango, those, mango. All yeah. those brands invaded from Australia about that time. Mm -hmm. yeah, a, lot of, a lot of competition, but the the surf shops were were, were starving for new new product too because they saw the success of these new categories where it was just hard goods and maybe wetsuits and a couple of like shop you know like private label like gear to. And I think that was the time that surf shops were changing. Yeah. You know, we, back in the 70s, we didn't think Jax was a surf shop. Yeah. And now everybody's kind of a surf and sport. Yeah. So when when you, when Bob said, hey, I'm going to be the licensee for Billabong, right? You were like, off from, from your perspective, you're like, Billabong? What the fuck does Billabong mean? Yeah. Or, or and, and like, okay, well billabong what does that mean what do, you know to me when you say billabong that's a dumb name right <laughs> well, it's kind of a dumb name yeah so it's hot tuna and exactly so yeah. exactly but you know what i'm saying it's like whoa like when it's when something new like that and 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 you're i'm not saying you're an investor or a part owner or any of that but you know you're you're at an age where you have to make the the right decisions right and bet on the right horse right and and you did, but like back then, you're like, okay, were you married yet? Or yeah, when I went in with Bob, yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, you got to make hard decisions for what's going to affect you in the future, right? Well, you think that, but when you're 29 <laughs> years old, you don't think that way. You just yeah. kind of like, yeah, that, that sounds good, good job. <laughs> I can go do that. But you guys knew. I mean, like he says, the name was lame, but. But it was already a successful like brand out of Australia. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that you look at the brands that came over from Australia. Back then, marketing was the magazines. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I was working at Infinity when Bob McKnight and Jeff Hackman came in and said, would you sell Quicksilver in our store? Would you buy it? And it was like, I already knew because you had PT on the cover. You had everybody wearing yeah. Quicksilver. And it's like gotta have it yeah and same thing i think happened with with uh billabong and hot tuna they all kind of invaded because the magazines had their you know you had aki you had greenie you had all these guys already in the magazine yeah so that kind of was setting the place and what the u.s brands back then would have been sun deck op know, op still now dominating now, did you guys see instant success or was it a, a, a long grind to prosperity? Um, I wasn't there with Bob the first year he was doing it, maybe even the first year and a half. Um, I, I think he actually was seeing great success. 
because at that point in time, he was importing everything from Australia. And Gordon was building everything in Australia. Mm. So, I mean, he was selling out everything he had. And, uh, you know, each year was getting bigger. And then that's when he got the license to start manufacturing his own. So when, when he became the distributor then, right, for, right. for Billabong, and he was shaping boards. Now, was he selling the stuff, like himself? He was the sales rep? Yeah, Bob was kind of the, I'm gonna, he wasn't the sales rep, but if you went to a trade show, Bob would be the, the guy front up man. front. Yeah, yeah, he was the front guy. And he knew everybody. And you know, Chip Rowland? Chip Rowland, yeah. He was an initial investor. He was one of the guys that helped Bob meet Gordon Merchant. Okay. And uh, he was the sales rep for the West Coast. For Billable. For Billable. Okay. So Bob didn't have like prior experience either. He was a shaper, but like how is that connection to like meet with Gordon and then get the like the deal? Like that seems well, chill. So um, Joe Kay was working with Bob in the store after school because he was a school teacher. Mm -hmm. And he they kept writing letters to Gordon about wanting to get get the clothes for his store because nobody would mm. sell to him and what um, store so bob had a shaping room off of 17th street so he had a little store in the very front of it and he had the surfboards and so he wanted some board shorts so quick wouldn't sell to him uh gotcha wouldn't sell to him and so um i may have the story a little wrong but i do remember that gordon reached out to bob and said, hey, I'm going to be at such and such a place. Can we get together? And Gordon said, I've done my homework on you. He goes, like you, I'm an I'm a old surfboard shaper. And he goes, you've got a great reputation. He goes, I don't want your store. I want America. Wow. He goes, you come up with, I'm going to say $30,000. And that may be the wrong number. And but yeah, you buy significant and, to and like you buy... You buy the product from, mm -hmm. and then that's when Bob scratched around and got investors and started building. Damn. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's fucking awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was just Bob had a great reputation as a great shaper and a great person, and and uh, Gordon liked that. Yeah. It's awesome. Like birds of a feather flock together. Yeah, and <laughs> and there was a long period of time that I think that relationship was really solid. Yeah. yeah, you know, Gordon used to come and stay at Bob's house when he was here, and so six, so six, seven years doing the, you know, the quality control. Yeah. Then, then we're quality assurance, bro. Quality assurance. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you, we actually, so back then you, you're doing five jobs. We're doing yeah, five yeah. different jobs. Yeah, yeah. And so finally it got to the point that um, the t-shirt business was strong enough that they just need somebody doing t-shirts. And so that's why I took on the t-shirt business, you know. As long as you weren't selling them for four ninety nine. As long as I wasn't selling them for four ninety nine. <laughs> so, you know, Bob gets the licensee. You come in about a year, year and a half into it, um, you know. Do you remember what the business was doing at that time when you first walked in? Dollars? Yeah. I don't know. It might have been doing a couple million dollars. We weren't that big. Yeah. At that point in time. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty significant within, you know, a year and a half, two years of, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And if you actually look at what the value of the dollar was back then, I yeah. think that was a $30 board short. It wasn't a $60 board short. Yeah. So. A lot of volume. Yeah, the so, volume was pretty significant at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, that's when the our industry really started exploding, right? Like when Billabong started coming on, Quicksilver, like, and all the um, surfing was becoming really trendy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like North Shore of the Movie. Yeah. Um, well, it, all kinds of different things that helped, like, push surfing into the mainstream. Well, you had the lifestyle aspect of it, but then... Kelly you, was on Baywatch. But then you had the... Kelly was on Baywatch. But then you had the anchor, the board short, which was, like, the technical product, you know? So yeah. lifestyle, meaning, you know, you guys made T-shirts and hats and, you know, whatever, but, like, the board short is what, like, really resonated it as, like, a more technical or uh, an anchor product for... Yeah. For the industry. Well, Quicksilver built a brand on one skew. Yeah. And it was the board short, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And then, you know, every surf brand, even throughout the course of history so far, the board short's the pinnacle marketing yeah. piece, pretty yeah. much. But like you said, it, it was an, at the time the industry was exploding, but I think it had to do with it was... A lifestyle, but they had something different that no other apparel yeah. brand knew how to make or master or knew, how, you know, like yeah. I'm sure they could copy, everybody copies everything, but it's kind of like the athleisure business of today, you know, like comfort, but functional, like yeah. it was just that, that, that board short, you know, was what, I mean, made Billabong, which made Quicksilver, which yeah. made pretty much every surf brand since Well, I'll tell you what made Billabong. Double D? Not just double D, <laughs> but double B. Bad Billies. Bad Billies. Ah, uh, yeah. And the Bad Dog Cord Short. Bad Dog Cord Short. Right? That was a short that Bob wanted and was told he should drop. <laughs> Wasn't OP already making their cord shorts? Not, not the... But different. I mean, it was... I mean, Corduroy... Is the only similarity to the OP cord and yeah. the, the, the bad Same. dog. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, I mean, it, it's our cord short had, was a longer length. The was OP a, was the short. Yeah. It was finger fat whales. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> finger fat whale cord. Yeah. Big. And, and I remember working at Huntington Surf and Sport, having to restock the Billabong bad dog cord once to, or twice a day at least. Yeah. And Bob actually, the year we put it in line, the bookings were terrible. <laughs> and and uh, we bought all the fabric and they're like, oh, we got to drop this short. And Bob's like, no, I believe in it. I believe in it. Yeah. And what? Billabong still makes it today? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to take a risk, but you also got to give it a little, little like time. Sometimes, yeah. you know, it's got to resonate on something. It's a little forward, a little different. I was just talking to somebody about that short and uh, somebody that was a buyer for a brand saying, hey, for a shop. And they're like, hey, Hanson's, you buy 200, we'll buy 200 and we'll get the bad dog made again. Wow. <laughs> Some of the old school shops that yeah. knew the success and yeah. saw the trending and they're like, hey, it's, yeah, we got to hit minimums, you guys. Let's just call a few few shops and we'll hit the... That's funny. So, so 
You had a lot of good years with Billabong. Yes. And right. So you got in the t-shirts. You took over the t-shirt. And stuck with it. Stuck with it. So so tell us what, how, why, and I mean, the t-shirt category probably is what, 45% of a company's business? Probably that. Yeah. Yeah. We used to try to, back in the Billabong days, Gordon wanted us to keep t-shirts like below 30%. And I think we've probably 50% of the business pretty easy during that time period. Yeah. Um, but and that's why you needed somebody to pay more attention to it. And um, how many designers did you have? Oh, back then I only had a few artists. Hmm. You know, but we had freelance artists. We had other people up. Yeah. Uh, Paskowitz family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Salvador Paskowitz was one of the guys that did stuff with us. Um, Roy Gonzalez did a lot of stuff for uh, Billabong. I should give him credit in case he hears it. Um, who was one, that? Roy Gonzalez. Okay. I don't know if you know who he is. Sounds familiar. I'm Roy trying. Gonzalez uh, does surfing uh, cartoons. Him and Salvador, I forget what it was called they did, but he, pretty well known at, at back in back in the day. Mm. But he was like a team writer that would go to Hawaii and sleep on Gordon's um, living room floor and doodled. And he came up with a design that back in the day it was called Mundaka, was what we called it. Yeah. Named it. And, I remember and that thing. Yeah, it was Roy Gonzalez did it. Yeah, now that you... you mentioned Mundaka, I remember all the, the roses and the yep. thorn, like all those crazy Billabong prints. Yeah. And yeah, Billabong, it, it, you know, Quicksilver was the, the big brother that was like kind of dominating for a while. And then Billabong, gosh, you guys were the two powerhouses. And, and what really, you know, fueled the fire during the heyday was having Andy Irons and Kelly Slater. Right. You know, Kelly Quicksilver, Andy Billabong, which made it even, you know, more of a dogfight. The two the biggest brands. When those guys were going head to head, the brands were going head to head as far as, you know, who who had, you know, who had it. Yeah. You know? And, you know, being uh, industry guys, like, and, and working at surf shops, like, you know, the bad dog is forever etched in my brain. Um, Andy Irons, freaking Rising Sun board short. I mean. Which was stolen know. from Ruka. <laughs> <laughs> was it really? Yeah. Is he making this up? No. I don't know. No. It, we, we made a Rising Sun. So we had a, we had a junior designer that worked on, you know, board shorts for us. And we had... We had a few Rising Sun board shorts, and for whatever reason, he left and took the file with him and took it to Billabong. And then, no joke, like the next season, they it was not the Andy Irons. It wasn't the first they ran it, and then he adopted it. Like, but it was like, yeah, straight, straight. We have files with the Ruka label, and, the and same. it looks exactly like it. Exactly the same. We have we're not, we're have to have fact checkers yeah. on this, bro. Yeah. yeah. We need Tenori on it to clarify, you know. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm telling it all correctly, but I was there. Yeah. And that's a new Billabong, not the old Billabong. Yeah. 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 Anyways. But, uh, 
No, it was a really successful, I think it was our number one short for a long, long, a long time. time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it bought Lockie a bunch of surfboards. Yeah. <laughs> and dirt. Lots of dirt. It's lots of dirt. That's yeah. That son of a bitch. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's going to comment on that. He's I gonna... hope so. <laughs> um, Love you, Lockie. So what was it like, uh, you know, being part of this juggernaut brand? Like... Did did you, you know, stop and think every once in a while and go, shit, you know, like I was in quality assurance, you know, at 29 years old, uh, never thought that I would be leading one of the biggest brands in, the, in their most important categories. You know what? Never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> Show up, stay behind the scenes, you know. Yeah, and do this stuff, go to sales meetings, sit in yeah. with, with everybody, but yeah. You know, were well, your sales meetings pretty fun and the sales meetings were back in the day were yeah. pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. A good time. All the reps in town. Yeah. Um, so how many times did Lockie almost get fired? So now Lockie, <laughs> now just so you know, Lockie's part of the new Billabong. Yeah. Not the not, old when not we a, had, when not yeah. a took over. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah we had, he was at Rusty and then he got, yeah. That's right. You go Gary Calisby, all those yeah. guys. Yeah. 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 And then we, but then we gave it back. But how was that Transition. pinnacle of, yeah, that time of Bob pulled the Jerry Maguire-like move? Like, I'm I'm leaving. I'm starting this. Obviously, you knew because they're probably working on it or, you know. I actually it was kinda... did it. No? Bob, Bob kept it really quiet. Yeah. So the day he left to go meet with Gordon, and I'll tell this about Bob. As he was negotiating to, to keep Billabong, he was also negotiating to get out of it you know working on creating a new label and he kept it really plan. quiet but he would fly to meet gordon so he'd say he goes hey we got to get together gordon wouldn't say meet me you know in hawaii he'd say meet me in Angari." so bob would have to fly to australia drive to Angari to meet with gordon so the day he gave the license back he actually did. He flew down, met with Gordon, drove to Gary. They talked for about 30 minutes. And he goes, so what do you want to talk about? And he goes, well, I'm giving the license back. Wow. And then Gordon, the, Bob, this, the way Bob explained it is, it was quiet for about you know, a minute or so. And he goes, do you want me to leave? And Gordon said, yeah. Wow. That was yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. But that's the stand-up guy that Bob is. Yeah. He wouldn't send a fax. He yeah. would over the phone. Yeah, yeah. He flew. I think he flew to Hawaii, uh, to Australia three times that year to meet with Gordon. So what sour for a day? That's, for one day. That's fucked up. Yeah. That's like driving to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> like, Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. You know, I think you know probably, you know, here you are. You're putting the legacy, all the work in for a legacy that's not yours, and you probably you know. Yeah. Time, times have change, you know. Can you talk about that? Like, I don't know. Like, what what caused the the breakup of Billabong USA in Australia? Probably another. Sorry, I want to interrupt. Yeah, I'm fucking trying to answer the question, dude. No, I'm, I'm actually curious. It's, it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog. Like we were the tail. Yeah, they're the parent company. Yeah, but we were bigger because you know you got the United States and the dollars, and so we had our own design team and. Um, you had Europe wanting stuff from America, Japan wanting stuff. So I think there was a little bit of an ego thing going on in there. Yeah. And 
Um, it's crazy. It's just crazy to think of how it was. And and I'm, I know that there were years that they didn't talk, and I think they've talked since. So, you know, because it's a tough thing. Yeah. You know? Eventually, you walk away. It's yeah. it's heavy to to think about. Like, okay, here you are, Gordon Merchant. You started this business. You're proud of it. You 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 hope to find somebody like Bob to take your baby and help grow. And he does it so well that it causes you to feel insecure. And that's just me putting, you know, my spin on it, right? That it causes you to like be worried because they're doing a better job with your baby. But he's making so much money off the royalties and off the percentage. I'm sure he's not really thinking that, but it could also be Bob's like, He's either got to sign another 10, 15, or whatever, like, deal. And that's a huge commitment. You yeah. know, like, that's, do I want to sign up for this for another 10 or 15 years? But, you know, if you're Gordon Merchant, in my mind, right, you have a guy that's taking your brand to the farthest reaches of your imagination, right? Of your expectation. He's exceeded expectations, right? Right. And now, I would say that. At the end, I mean, I know a little bit more kind of went on, but I think at the end of it, they both did well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there was, I don't think Gordon was expecting it. And I think the license agreements were only four years. Four, that's it. Yeah. So it was really, I mean, Bob told me that we actually ran for two years without a license agreement. Dang. At one point in time. That was just, that was that business thing. It was negotiating and then... The minute you'd sign it, you start negotiating the next one. So heavy. And, um, you know. So, obviously, you said he kept it, you know, a secret. And then when he made that decision to give back the license, is that when he told you guys? So, basically, what Bob, what actually happened is we had a sales meeting going on, which was Bob actually came, comes in my office and said, I'm flying to Australia. And I knew the tension was bad. And he goes, you know, and I might be coming back with a license or I may not. But he knew he wasn't. He was done at that point in time. And so he flies to Australia. The next morning, we're in a sales meeting. And Mike Lesher goes, um, now to let you guys all know, we're giving the license back. Wow. And we're going to start a brand new brand, brand called Hurley. And everybody's in there just like the mouth first, dropped. The first day of a no idea of a sales meeting. It was the last day of the sales meeting. <laughs> so if you had a sales meeting that would go, okay, Friday it's time to take off. No, you're going to wait till Saturday. We're going to have another um, meeting, on meeting. And that was basically it. Bob so just basically, crazy. and then he came in. He goes, I couldn't tell you because I got to keep it secret. Yeah. And what was the re- reaction? Um, it was. <laughs> pretty crazy yeah. and you're just like wow and then Bob goes okay here's what we're doing we actually had the license for one more year so we had to generate yeah we had to generate um, a product line for another year at the same time as we were working on to launch um, Hurley um, for spring of 99 and back then I, you guys might remember this is You'd go to a trade show in September with brand new product you just got through finishing. Now, you know, people have their lines done in May 
and their bookings in by June, you know. Yeah. And so back then we were, we were working away. Bob actually called me one day, and said we got to meet tomorrow. And we come in. And he goes, um, I don't like the direction. Throw out all the t-shirts. We're going to start all over. And this was is that for Billabong or for Hurley? For Hurley. Or for, both? for Hurley. And this was like August fifteenth, and you had ASR coming up uh, September first week of September. It's like throw everything out. Yeah, fifteen start all days. Over. Yeah, start all over again. Holy smokes! Yeah, and I was sampling both brands. That is so nuts. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. What was like? I mean, obviously, you know, Billabong was scrambling to kind of you know put their act together obviously you know having to start from scratch what what was the what was the like like the, the guys in the office like with some like i don't know if i'm gonna stick with hurley or is everybody on bob's side like or were people like i'm gonna bounce well a lot of people bounced richard sanders left yeah. he was the first to go and our cell our art director left and then November of that year is when all the dominoes fell. Mike Lesher put the pressure on the reps, said you got to choose where you want to go, and then the phone started calling. I heard, Dude, I heard a couple boom, reps did boom, both boom, for a while. Boom, boom. Well, every rep did both until November, and then I ain't couple, but there were some reps that were pretty gnarly with Bob, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, Bob got some pretty nasty phone calls. Wow, you know, which, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. yeah. You know what a trip so crazy and the the way he pulled it off right i mean because he did pull it off we did, yeah we did yeah you guys did yeah double d was part of the transition from billabong usa simultaneous to the launch of hurley and i you know we, we talk about this a lot with other guests on like I don't know if that could ever be done again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I tell you what we did, what Bob did, I give him credit for everything. Um, he kept everybody who wanted to stay on, to stay on. And of course we needed it for at least for the first year. But then the second year, I mean, we went from a $65 million company to now a, tw which Right out of the gate, I think we were close to 20 million the first year, which is pretty crazy. Me. Yeah. Yeah. That is crazy. Well, I, I just remember, you know, Joe Mack was the graphic designer or like I'm art director or. I'm trying to remember when he actually, I convinced Bob into hiring Joe. Did you? Yeah. It was, Bob was, Bob was uh, working with Joe doing some ads because he might have been working at Surfer Magazine at the time. Yeah. And uh, Joe, uh, Bob goes, yeah, I really like Joe. I go, why don't you hire him? He goes, what about Dave? I go, just hire him. You need more artists. Yeah. And then uh, he came aboard. And yeah. And then when, when uh, Dave Ecker left to go to Billabong, um, Joe became art director. Yeah. So, well, which I, was great. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, before there was ever a stitch of clothing out in, in the universe or a graphic tee, all the ads started popping up, right? And and they were really, at that time, kind of provocative. I mean, not, not provocative, sexy, but just kind of like 999, you know? Yeah. What is that? That's 999. That's a up, down, upside down 666. 
right? <clears throat> is that religious or is that, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, what is that? And then it was Hurley, you know, 999. 1999. Was, yeah. 1999, yeah. And people were freaking and they're like, whoa, what the hell is this? You know, it's like, oh, it's Hurley. It's the new brand. Yeah. And you guys came out of the gates just freaking kind well, of gave, swinging. Yeah, it gave you guys the opportunity to not just be, you know, like surf, you know, with what Bill, Bill, yeah, you know, Billabong at the time. You know, I don't remember if they were trying to do snow at the time. No, we had done snow at one point in time. Yeah, so you might have already been doing because following footsteps and yeah, yeah. But we had skate, we had everything, but we weren't really we're more driven to what the look of surf was at that point. Yeah, but when uh, you know, one of the biggest things I think for in my mind, one of the biggest marketing like uh, MTV. Yeah. The paradigm, <laughs> the paradigm shift with Blink Music. wearing the Hurley yeah. too. Dude. Yeah, it was a that changed the game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, now, really? now when when it was announced to you, right? When you and Bob and yeah, he he told you we're gonna do our own brand. It's gonna be called Hurley, you know. And were you like, okay? Did, did you have to? Did you? Was there thoughts of like, now I'm gonna go to Billabong or? No. There's Never. no doubt. There's no... No, actually, um, people started going, and part of the agreement that Bob had with Gordon is he wasn't supposed to poach any of the employees. And so... Um, they had to leave on their free own or, like, or didn't... Well, they weren't supposed to come after us. Yeah. And so what wound up happening is some of the sales reps for the t-shirt companies, they would go, hey, call Dwight. And so the guy calls me, and I said, you know what? I know Paul. I know I know Bob, and I trust Bob, and I don't know Paul, Paul Nadi. Yeah. And I go. I'm going to stay with Bob. So it was never a thought in my mind to go anywhere else. Yeah. You know. So. Did did uh, did Bob Hurley like, you know, say, hey, I'm gonna, you guys are gonna have to take a pay cut, or you're gonna like we're gonna, you know, because it's obviously you're kind of starting over, and it's all, you know, it's got can't be cheap to kind of redo it, or it was like, hey, we're gonna keep the same, or hey, I'm gonna give you a. You know, a percentage. Good question. Bob. You know, that is like, a good question. Yeah, yeah, there there were a few people that did have to take a pay cut, but in exchange for it, yeah, I actually didn't have to take a pay cut, so I was blessed on that. Yeah, you know, so it was good. Well, you made up forty five percent of their, yeah. their, their income. So. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of need Double D to stay around. Dwight's like, see this? This is a bar graph. This is a pie chart. Yeah, and uh, he already had it ready. To me, looks to me, Bob, that uh, the pie chart. Doesn't get cut here. Yeah, <laughs> this pie chart does not get cut here. <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, you're obviously married and have kids and your livelihood, and not that you probably wouldn't be taken care of it at some sort. But starting over, it's starting over for everybody, and it's. I, I figured it's got to be a, yeah. a monetary kind of start over until, but. Straight out of the gate, twenty million the first year. You're like, okay, bonuses. We did all right. Yeah. So yeah, he didn't he didn't do anything for the first year, and part of again we had the same money coming in because we were doing the Lebong and we were doing Hurley, um, and uh, you know some people did leave, so he yeah. saved money on them. But um, now it was it was fun. Yeah. Scary at first. Yeah. yeah but it was fun. Scary but refreshing and risk, rewarding. The risk reward, yeah. risk reward, yeah. And did that for a few years, and then 
of course, then the Celta Nike. And that was relatively quick. Two years, right? No, I think it was three. Two thousand. Yeah, it was. It was right around three years. Yeah. But what? I mean, what was the growth? Each year was double. You know. Yeah, we kept growing. Double. Yeah. We were we were about seventy million when we sold the Nike. That's so crazy. So, yeah. so what? It was crazy. So when? How did he break the news to you then? Like, well, I was a limited partner by then. Okay. And so we were called into meetings um, to discuss. It, it was funny. I got the come to this meeting to discuss future growth of the company. So <laughs> I've got I've got my notes down on what I think we need to change to yeah. be able to grow better. You know, communication would be one of the keys and stuff like that. And uh, now, limited ahead. partner means what? Like you're invested? Yeah, I okay. had shares. Bobby actually gave me shares of the company for sticking, sticking. Well, not so much sticking around. There some things that happened. He goes, "I'm going to give you." He basically came in and said, "Hey, I'm going to give you some some of the shares of the company." It's awesome. You so, paid your dues. You've been there for twenty some so, years. Your, yeah, so your risk reward. Yeah, so he turns around and he. Uh, but I need to go glass these boards. <laughs> yeah, you do. Can you do that? So he calls a meeting and I walk in and I get introduced to the guy that's shopping the, and and it wasn't we were shopping the brand, we were looking for financial investors because mm. as you're growing like that, you need money. Yeah, you can't just do it overnight. Yeah, and uh, you gotta. You got to finance the, the yeah. So so production. he's looking for some of the growth and stuff, and then it turned into meeting the guy that brought Nike to the table, and so that was in in October of twenty uh, two thousand one. So then fresh off of nine eleven. Yeah. So it's, yeah, is it so we were actually you now, know wait, it probably what where what. Did Bob tell you before 9-11 or is it after 9-11 that Nike was on the table? Well, actually 9-11 was 2000, so it's 2001, so a year later. Okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, so we had the meeting, that's when we were brought in, then Bob called me in November and said he had signed a document with him, but we couldn't talk or do anything about it. And so little things came out, couldn't tell the family, couldn't tell anybody. And then February is when the stuff started leaking and uh you know it it got out and uh i seth ellison i don't know if you know who he yeah. is he he had he was with nike at the point in time and he was looking for a for a house and the guy he the the lady he was working with son worked at quicksilver and he put down president of hurley mm. you know and he put down nike and kind of told it, and that's when it ran through quick, and then it wow. started running around. Dang. Wait, say that again? So how it actually got out to the marketplace, or at least into Quicksilver, was Seth Ellison was looking to buy a house and put down on his application, he was the pre going to become the president of wow. Hurley, because Nike was buying Hurley. That's why he's relocating, and yeah? Yeah. All that. But off a real estate application. Yeah. <laughs> of because, somebody within the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What, you know? And that's how it got out. And then I got my first phone call sitting in a sales meeting from a guy named Andy Wolf, who owns Team Color Screen Prints. And he's like, dude, is it real? Oh. Tell me. And I told him, I go, no, it's not real. It's not real. 
I know you're lying to me. Uh, yeah. It still, it still had about a week or so before I could say anything. Yeah. That's I actually so didn't say anything until it was on the cover of the LA Times. <laughs> <laughs> were you... Were you did you guys felt like you had job security? You know, like what was the, the mindset of like, hey, you know, we're just going to get more infused money for growth and we could, you know, get bigger and, you know, better? Or was it like they're going to replace You're it with their paid own people? Though, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the really green potatoes we want to hear right now is you, you, you saw the words cha-ching. I saw the words touching. I actually scared the shit out of me. Um, but so we had to sit in the lawyer's office and go through all the documents and figure it out. And, you know, they pretty much the contract when they bought it from us is we signed a four year non-compete with only a 30 day notice of being laid off. Wow. So basically they could have fired me any time with a 30 day notice. But I couldn't go compete for four years. Damn. That's a scary proposition. Yeah. So like Bob said, he goes, I want to make sure you have enough money that in case you want to take four years off, you can. Epic. <laughs> <laughs> Epic. Hey, let's uh, renegotiate a contract right now. Yeah. Ew. Put some dollars on that. But I was with, you know, yeah. I was with um, oh. Nike for for 15 years after they bought yeah. us. Yeah. So. And then, you know, they had great benefits and great 401s and great medical and great all kinds of stuff too so yeah there's a lot of really good things that happen yeah. about it i mean um you know people could turn around i remember hearing the story is like now you got big brother jumping into the industry you're letting you're letting nike in and you know what people kept forgetting is quicksilver gun public vulcan was looking to go public a year or so later yeah so the marketplace was changing yeah anyway Bill yeah in public uh, you know, I'm so closed-minded when it comes to brands coming in and infiltrating and taking over and then leaving. That's what I don't like about brands like Nike. Right. Right. Taking and advantage of, of a market that is hot or they <clears throat> can make money, but they're, they're not invested into it, like, personally. They're not in there know? for the long haul. Yeah. They're not in it forever, which... That kind of bums me out, and but it's business, right? Like, I'm, I'm, because of like my life, our livelihoods. You know, we we fight for what we have, right? right? And when a big company like Nike comes in, it, it's tough to compete because you know they could buy their way into anything, right? Yeah, and I, you know what, I think. I think that there's a lot of really good things that came out. The Phantom board short, we never would have found the fabric yeah. without Nike. Um, you know, they're really good to the surf industry. If you actually think of the pro surfers, the money that that, that kind of elevated the the wages totally. and everything. I mean, we're now at a time where I don't think we'll see those wages again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the but U.S. Open, they invest a lot of money into that. So that was really on that side. A really a good thing um, I think that we could have steered them better to kind of keep the company where where it should have been yeah but you know it's kind of hard you're talking to the yeah I mean you're a publicly held company and yeah. you got to show why you're not growing yeah and, and that's the thing that 
you know, that I get um, weary of is like, you know, they used Hurley, right? Mm-hmm. Not just used, but the, Hurley was a vehicle to legitimize them in our industry. It was it was finally the vehicle that they can successfully get past the gatekeepers, you know, yeah. Hurley. And I mean, think think about that, right? Like 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 you said, they did a lot of good things, elevating this, elevating that. But in the past three or four years, they haven't. You know, I mean, Hurley was still there, but all the other stuff, pretty much, no. You know what right. I mean? And the one thing that bums me out about them is, yeah, they they elevate it, but then if they leave, there, there's a hole. There's, there's a vacuum, vacuum that yeah. goes with it. Yeah, and that's what's happened, right? Like, right. there's a ton of people that don't have sponsorships, and there's no sponsors <laughs> to even come up, you know, and and help whatever replace yeah. those dollars. But but it's business, and that's cool. But you know, I just hope that. Because there's talk of them trying to get back into the marketplace again, right? I saw that article. Yeah, I haven't really read it, but I've I've yeah. I've, read, I've heard of it. It's just, and, but the thing is, like, they become successful, right? And and they've had like a huge market share, and they walked away from it. And what I'm talking about is like, okay, it's such you, a small piece of their pie too right they, but still like it still affects us yeah. in a negative yeah. you know way 6.0 right the stupidest fucking thing out right it was a dumb dumb freaking name um their marketing was dumb but they took over the shoe game for a little bit but think of the fact that they actually came out with 6.0 with a surf team yeah and hurley yes yeah. That's like, what I'm saying. Wait a minute. What are you guys doing? You bought us to be the surf brand. Yeah. And then they started their own surf brand. Yeah. And then they started their own shoe company because they didn't want to sell the SBs to the mainstream. Yeah. So they started 6.0 to appease the PacSun, the Tillies, the Journeys. And guess what? They bought into it. All those yeah. people bought into right. it. And that, ca- that, that, that shoe company, that 6.0, was freaking... As big as any other, bigger than any other shoe company, bigger than Vans at that time, right? And then they're like, "Ah, oh, no, this is not good enough for us." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, they they're gonna make their decisions based on you know dollars and cents because it's a company and they gotta run it. But you know, them pulling, I like we talked about, like a vacuum. You know, you know, usually see those kinds of downfalls in like a recession where everybody's kind of hurting. You know, and we sell brands. He sells out of I sell Ruka. And when we go to these retailers, we need more than just a, a, a Nike or a Hurley or a, a, a Ruka, somebody to help pay the bills. Like you need lots of brands. You need the healthy, you need the industry healthy, and that's going to benefit everybody. You know, like we need these shops can't just rely on like a couple of brands. And when those go away, yeah, it'll take some time for some others to fill that hole. But usually it takes you know, along, you know, the cycles are longer, you know, like a straight, you know, pull out. I'm, I mean, I'm, right, we're seeing it from Hurley right now is, you know, there's stores that I'm not moving forward with, you right. know. But which I think is great for it gives us opportunity. new opportunities. Yeah. You're seeing new younger brands are going to come about. 
there's been a lot of people in the industry that have lost their jobs in the last year because of consolidations yeah in that and now there's a lot of young talent yeah that's yeah. going to be able to come out and bring some new stuff to the market which i'm very excited about yeah so going back to you sorry we took you down the the rabbit hole that's okay route. man that's that's that, fun to that's talk about, about yeah. yeah um hurley for how many years 15 I was with Bob for 32 years, <laughs> from Billabong to um, Hurley. Yeah, we were together 32 years. And Nike, as they like to say it, they retired Bill Hurley and myself, along with 1,400 other employees of Nike uh, in 2017. And we got classified as retired because we would, they would have had to have come out and Shop Eat Surf would have probably come out and said, the last two owners of Hurley are no longer with the company because Bob was retired out two years before but he was kept on as a consultant mm -hmm. so um, yeah best so thing cool. ever happened to me yeah got your freedom back the forced retirement was the best thing I didn't think so at the time but I was working so many damn hours I wasn't surfing not doing anything yeah and um, gave me a life back it's great so golden three, years three three years ago yeah three years ago but you didn't stop working no i didn't i actually went to work for um a division of massive screen prints they own affliction american fighter they do private label for some retailers and i work on the private label for them now you do or that's you what i did okay and i still do i just go in whenever they they have stuff to work on and then still working on five forty five percent of the business <laughs> nah, not hardly anything with these guys. Just I work on the smaller portion of their brands. Yeah, and it's fun. It keeps me. It gets, gives me something to do. It's busy. Yeah, and then of course, I'm working with uh, the family again. Wait, what? <laughs> working with the family again? What family, bro? You gotta, you gotta speak it out. Uh, let's see. The Hurley family. They just bought um, Simple Shoes. They're launching. Um, Florence um, Marine X Whoa. and then um, you heard it here first people <laughs> double, double D. D and then Bill Hurley is uh, launching IPD cool so I'm helping those guys um, but that's more just love of family yeah, yeah. just when you thought you were out they pull you back in this is all <laughs> this is all friendships I, I want to I want to help nurture some of the young guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to work hard. I want to go in, and they need work help. Work smart, and I want to. Yeah. If they need to learn something, I want to be able to teach them what I know. Yeah. But I want the youth to take it over. You don't need a sixty-six-year-old man telling, telling yeah. the market what surfing is all about. Yeah. You need you need a twenty-year-old to have great ideas and yeah. fresh and eyes. Yeah, fresh eyes and want to know something like where do you go look so but successful people with fresh eyes always need a mentor yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's and that's, that's great that's a that's your pay it forward mentorship and and obviously you know the next generation of you know obviously you want the brands to succeed but you want to give these guys yeah they the the experience you wish you had when you're 20 something 30 something yeah so are you doing quality assurance again or <laughs> <I'm> doing <laughs> 
So question on like t-shirts. So you've been in the game for 30 years, 32. What has any significant changes on like t-shirt developments that you've seen? Or has it kind of just been outside of logo placement and, and you know, maybe a blends of fabrics? Like what's, what's new? What's, what's different? Um, outside of fabrics and stuff. But I like when I see some of the newer brands doing things, trying to stand out. Yeah. Of course, I'm wearing Sport of Kings. Yeah. That's and okay. I just, you know, I like how he's trying to be different, not trying to be the same as everybody else. You know, he's chosen his lane. He's using his fabrics he likes. Yeah. You know, he's got his uh, label placements. You know, he's not trying to, I'm going to put a clip able here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Yeah. You know. So talk to us more about um, Kandui. Is it Kandui? Kandui is the parent company. Parent yes. company. That, that's Bob Bob the, and the families. The Bob and family are doing simple shoes and and um, Florence Florence. Okay. What's, what's, I know you're going to be sort of like a mentor, but like what's the direction if we can talk about it, of Simple Shoes and Marine, Lawrence Marine X? I couldn't, I really don't that, know that much. I'm helping them source fabrics. You know, they want to be sustainable. You know, I know your brand is all about being sustainable and that, but that's John John's passion is just sustainability. So, um, you know, organics one, but the other is um, regenerated fabrics. T-shirts are going to be made out of scraps of cotton that are turned into a new t-shirt again that kind of thing yeah um low impact sustainable inks all of that yeah do you know when they like for simple shoes when they're gonna hit the market i know they're working on stuff right now mm -hmm. i know what they want to do is kind of upgrade and kind of modernize um the look haven't seen anything yeah you know, again, I just, I go in and they tell me what they're looking for, for the t-shirt side. And I work on that. Um, and I know there, I, I mean, I did walk in the office and saw sketches everywhere, but um, I'm assuming we'll see some new product um, maybe around Christmas time for Simple. Nice. Um, I'm not sure the shoe side side of it. I know some, some product. Uh, Florence, I think you're looking at spring, not the marketplace spring, but you know, yeah. what is it, Mar uh, March, April, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Same, awesome. same thing with IPD. We're looking at, uh, I think we're looking at May. Cool, awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. You yeah. know, it, it, it's it's time for new brands, right? Right. More new brands to come out into the space and help push the market forward and, and the culture and the industry so yeah I think it's fun I, I was meeting with uh, the guy who's doing simple helping him with some product and he started going yeah I think I'm gonna put this placement over here and but maybe not you know was doing this you know because he's a curly guy he's thinking of the margins you know got that spin going I'm like oh. God let me take you back yeah. to the day we did stuff yeah. When we first launched Hurley, we we had little prints on the weight on the hems. We did weird shit. Yeah. I go, this is time to be weird. Do this. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> Tell your story. Yeah. When That's you don't a great have, comment when, right there. When you don't have, you know, 
a Nike looking at the bottom line in every piece and every skew and category, and you, you want to make it look cool. You're talking three cents here, six cents there, 12 cents here, whatever it may be, you yeah, know, right, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Like you, like you just pointed out on that shirt, you know, like I like what these guys are doing. That's okay. They got different placements. They're just creating an identity that's like unique in them. Who cares if they're going to, you know, they're not, they're, their passion is putting out something cool and different. Right. And that should be the first and foremost. Yeah. Like, you know, and I mean, obviously you got to make money and stay in business, but you're talking pennies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, you look at some, <laughs> you look at something and you go, oh, maybe that cost me fifty cents. You yeah, know? but well, then you go through that. It, it's game. like what we were saying earlier. Like you, you, your board short is your pinnacle piece. Yeah. Like that's what you make all the noise around and create your marketing and identity from, and that trickles down to to your t-shirts, which is 50 percent of your business, right? Like you make your name here, but you make your money here, right? You make your money on the T-shirts because not not everyone can afford your hundred and fifty dollar board short. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, bro, that's that's how much our board shorts cost. Wow. Um, and then our T-shirts are you know thirty eight bucks, forty bucks, and that's more affordable. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. And that T-shirt that I sold for four ninety nine that is a <laughs> billboard is now selling for twenty five bucks. Yep. And it's a billboard. It's the best form of advertisement you have. Absolutely. Yeah. The strength of the brand is you know the name of the brand, and if you could sell the name, you know, on on prints and hats and and everything else, you're you're yeah. good to go. I like simple. I'm gonna have to mold Flo Florence Marine X a little bit more. It's taking part of your market share, bro. That's a hey, shut up, man. That's a that's a, a mouthful. Yeah. yeah. FMX, so, right? F yeah, FMX. That's what I heard that people are call calling it now. Well, that's what I heard, but again, not that I heard much. <laughs> I heard it here first. FMX. <laughs> that's cool. So what uh, what kind of boards are you riding right now? I'm riding a Pizel. Damn. Look at you all, modern, and with the times with your with your. Well, he's got he's got a connection. Yeah, he's got a connection. He's got a connection. What, um, what model? Ghost. Shit, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Bill Hurley got it for me. Yeah. Thicker, yeah. wider, shorter. It's, yeah, it's, it's got a lot of beef on it. Okay. But now I'm surfing more. Um, about ready to go shorter again. Yeah. Is it Get standard shape or like a fish shape or? No, it's just a standard standard shape. Yeah. Do you ever mess around with fishes? No, actually, I never liked fishes. Even though Carl Hayward was my partner, I never really... Yeah. You know, it's like every board you got to have, it's it's the way you set up. Yeah. And fishes, I didn't set up with a quick top turn or anything. So, yeah. so any cool places you've uh, traveled over the world? Indo is my favorite. On, on, on Bob's Indy 3? Indy 3. Uh-huh. Indy 3. Yeah, that was Bob, great. Bob, Bob's, you know... I don't know, he gets on that thing, or was getting on it quite often. Well, I was on one, well, I think I did it for three to five years, something like yeah. that. In a row? Yeah. Um, Can I, I say this to you? Fuck you. Lennon's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. only been once. You bastard. He's only been once out there. And you know what? Let me tell you the story, because I've told it before. The only time that I've ever been on a boat trip was with with Jay for Lyles's birthday trip. 
Yeah. And yeah. I'm at Macaroni's, and I'm sitting there, kind of, it was like, there's, there's like three boats, but only us at the time. And then this big boat, the Indies 3, pulls up, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, no, 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 just minding my own business, having a great time, waves are fun. Guess who paddles out? Bob Hurley. Bob Hurley. Yeah. What up, Bob? Oh my God, I can't believe I've seen you here. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's like, at my spot. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, damn, Bob, what a what a coincidence. I can't believe, I, you know, I'm I'm here surfing macaronis with you, you know, around the world, and we're laughing. And I'm like, yeah. So how many times have you been here? And he's like, oh, you know, I've been coming here like three or four times a year for the last 20 something years <laughs> so I don't know a lot <laughs> I I've been out there quite a few times I'd say at least half the trips he's been out there yeah which is pretty, yeah it, it, you he know, deserves it you guys no 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 it's great I'm just saying like to be you know two weeks out of the year 10 days and you know there's lots of trips out there and I'm running you know like to run he, into that means he's been times. there yeah. yeah he's been out there quite a few times he's yeah. been there yeah. I think one of my best trips is Jeff and Ryan were on the trip with us. And I remember Bob and I are sitting on the front of Indy 3 watching them, them out. It might have been the last day at Macaroni's. Wow. And uh, watching them both surf. And I remember going to Bob. I go, hey, you got the Fletcher family. They're like the dark family, you know. You should be the... Brightside family, you guys should <laughs> just positive. focus. Yeah, you're a positive group. Yeah, you know, and you you should do this, and the boys should be out surfing. So but by then they were the kids were married, and they didn't want to do that much traveling. So wow, is Ryan and Jeff actively working for Candui too? Yes. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Um, it's the th- well, it's basically Chance King, who's uh, Bob's son-in-law, um, Jeff and Ryan. They're actively involved. Um, Ryan, Megan, mm-hmm. you know, they're all in there. I stopped by their new place the other day, and the last two times I've stopped by, they've they're in there working. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's exciting. Super cool. I walked in the first day. I walked in. And I looked around. I go, wow, the place is all set up. I go, who sits here? And they go, you can. I go, nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. I don't want a seat here. Yeah. No, you live I just, just want my just close enough house, where you can like. Finish your coffee from your house, sit down, and then, okay, I'm out of here. My coffee's done. Uh, my thing is more of, I, I've told them, I go, I really don't want to start working before 11. I don't want to be off by 4. Damn! <laughs> and lunch is between, uh, you know, 12.30 and 1.30. <laughs> no, I just, I'd rather go in and go four yeah. or five hours, just grind and get out. That's good. Uh, you've earned that, bud. You've earned that. Yeah, bud. you've definitely earned it. He just goes in there and goes, hey, Venmo, double D. Zell double D underscore double D. Don't forget to put zeros. Yeah, at that's the end. Cool. But you know, I, I would tell you that the whole partnership with Bob and then with Nike buying it's putting me in a shape where I don't have to work, but yeah. being able to go in and help these guys. Yeah, you know, it's cool. Well, it keeps you alert and awake and yeah. you know motivated to. I mean, even to go surfing, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, as long as I can surf before I have to go to work. Yeah. yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah. But just, I mean, your experience with, with Bob and the way, you know, he is as a, a, a person, like you said, I mean, he got his gig with Gordon because people 
said good things about him. He knew it was a good thing. And he knew in reputation. He knew what he was doing. And, and that's carried throughout his, his life and his career and all the businesses he's had. And he's taken care of, you know, you've obviously earned it, but a lot of other people that earned it within yeah. the company too, you know, which is commendable on, on his behalf, you know. I have, love it. I have, love. Uh, have you surfed any of the wave pools yet? None. Yeah. I actually, I had sinus surgery probably 15 years ago. And then I had to have it done again right afterwards. And I pretty much didn't get back into surf, surfing right after that. Now I'm forcing myself to surf. Yeah. You got to go, you got to go to that kook stage. And you took some years off. I t- yeah, I probably took good, you know, I'd surf maybe paddle out for 20 minutes, catch one or two waves, get bored and leave. And I did that for about five years. And then I kind of didn't surf for 10. Wow. You took 10 years off of surfing? Yeah. That's crazy. But the hardest thing is, is I mean, as you get older, you don't get to your feet as fast. Yeah. Right? And you paddle out and you're going, God, I can't even stand up. And then you go, I'm not going to surf again. Yeah. I was telling um, Lar when, you know, that, yeah, we're going to interview Double D. He's like, yeah, you know, we don't know too much about him. Yeah. You know? And I go, I know, but he's like a fucking HB legend. And there's so many people that... I've talked to Lambert, um, even Sam August. They they were like, dude, like Dwight is one of the best surfers to ever surf Huntington. Yeah, well, I'm like, wow, really? And they're like, yeah, dude, Dwight done rips. And I'm like, damn, I've never seen him surf, which is a bummer. Yeah, because he didn't. For the last I didn't the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, when you just started surfing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know where to find them. Yeah. Not by the pier. Not by the pier. Down there. (laughs) Secret spot, boys. Secret spot. (laughs) Where you got to catch the tide just right. Yeah. For 15 minutes. Yeah, the wind. It gets windy there early too. (laughs) But it does get fun. Yeah. So, um, what's the best advice do you have for young entrepreneurs? Stay. Yeah. I would say just stay with it. You know, I mean that's the key thing. You can get you get scared out real quickly. You know, um, you know, and if you could partner with some people that can kind of mentor you and get you in the right places, because that's the big thing. It's it's uh, being with the right people. Yeah. They can do that. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. Learn. Listen. Yeah. Don't be scared for risk taking. And don't be afraid to work. Yeah. And no, you got to work. Got to work your butt off. Got to work your butt off. Yeah. What were you saying if you would have known? Yeah. <laughs> Who? A uh, couple things we asked. Most of our guests, but uh, who's been your favorite surfer in the past? Wow. I'm sure that changes, you know, people's... It changes all the time. If I got to go back to when I first started surfing, I mean, it's very easy to look at guys like um, John Davis, but then there's so many guys that people don't even know of, like Clayne Brown. That's, that, that guy was a good friend. He was a roommate. I remember walking on the pier one winter morning and it's big north swell and nobody out but clean brown wow charging it what's his name clean brown clean clean brown yeah crazy but uh yeah just charging it all by himself on a big north swell um guys like dave dilberg who's an old huntington guy Lives on Molokai right now. Never scared of anything. Rode the weirdest shit, but man, he just charged everything. Yeah. 
you know that's awesome it's cool i like i like hearing like you know those those stories and those like when you're so impressionable like in that like heyday of when everything's new and cool and that you know you're not looking at i saw that guy in the magazine i saw him in a movie and that guy you know like a dane kiloha or jerry yeah. lopez so you know you're you're bringing up names that you watched on a daily basis yeah. you know? and i think that's the way kids are today yeah they care about the guy that's a local guy around them yeah and, that's true uh, yeah that's those are the guys that did the most impression with me yeah and and probably had the most fun with yeah aaron pie yeah. i had a great time serving with aaron pie well, we were Groms back when he was in high school. Yeah. We used to paddle out and you'd laugh at each other and you'd push each other and it was fun. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. There's a lot of successful business entrepreneurs from Huntington yeah. and, and just surfers, you know, surfers in general. Like um, JK, you know, mm-hmm. Jeff Kelly, you obviously, Hurley obviously, Pi. It's like, uh, it's funny that, um, and some of them aren't even college educated. Yeah. Which is... If you actually look at the whole surf industry, it all exploded in Orange County. Yeah. yeah. And how many of those guys came from Orange County? Yeah. Edison High School, Fountain Valley, Newport Harbor. I mean, it's crazy to think about how many of those guys all started there. Kind of changed the whole marketplace. Yeah. Created a global economy. Exactly. <laughs> hey, pays the bills. Keep, um, keep buying people. Shoot. Anything Thanks. else? I don't think so. I mean, if you could get, hop on a plane right now, where would you go and with who? Surf to surf. I would go to Hawaii and go hang out with my brother. Sick. He lives at Alligator Rock on the North Shore. Nice. Oh. And uh, just go surf with him. Easy. You know, if it's slow, just go out with marijuanas and surf. Yeah. And then go walk down to Lonnie's or something. It'd be, oh, be fun. Yeah. Hang so, out with him. So nice over there. How long, has we, how long has he been living over there? My brother's been over there since 76. Wow. Wow. And um, what does he do? good surfer. What does he do for he work? He ran Jameson's, the um, restaurant. restaurant. Wow. Ran it for years. Good Epic. surfer. Had a cover and a centerfold in the same magazine one time. Wow. Had cover a, and centerfold? Yeah, and a picture, a cover was a picture of him uh, at, uh, I think it was at, at Pipe. It was at Off the Walls. Um, You're not related camera, to Jackie Dunn, are you? Not the Jackie Dunn. Oh. I got a Jackie Dunn. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a photo from inside the tube, the back of him. And then um, the centerfold was gnarly bottom turn, big sunset. Wow. Wow. So... Have you ever gotten a picture in the mag? I've gotten a few. Sick. Yeah, got a few. Most of them were just ads, but I got a couple prints. Nice, dude. Back so, in the Infinity days, like that long ago? Infinity was the first one. Sunline. I think I did the first Astro Deck ad. Um, you were in the first Astro Deck ad? Yeah. <laughs> Epic. That is awesome. That was that, before the Fletchers owned it. Wait, they didn't own it? Um, at that time, no. The guy who actually started it... Eric Diamond's dad? No, it was this guy actually, he he did um, rubber coating on... Um, Bathtubs? On, uh, what was it? On parking lots. Oh. So basically, it's it, that the, the foam 
they would shoot it on the on it and then they sand the top off and then it had it was gritty so he took the idea to put it on surfboards and so he would have to take your surfboard and put it on your board spray and it on and then spray it on sand it down bring it down the guy didn't know how to sand so he, he just gouged surfboards he brings the board back it gained three pounds so crazy. And just like <laughs> board doesn't work anymore because it's so heavy did yeah. he surf I think he did surf, but he wasn't much of a surfer. Yeah. There, but he didn't he didn't know really how to run a business, sold it to Fletcher. Fletcher figured out how to put it on um, like a three M double sided tape. Boom. Everything's history. What a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what wasn't there a, I think when we I was working at the Super Sport, there was a canister yeah. of spray. Liquid, yeah. liquid sandpaper. Um, what the hell was it called? No. Yeah. But I remember that was like, I mean, we. I think we all tried it at one point. Now they have those stickers on the board in different patterns. Yeah. And you wax over the sticker and it creates, like, you use less wax, but it's, you know, you, you instead of changing your wax, you just peel the sticker off. It's weird. Oh, wow. Yeah. All kinds so of you, stuff. You but, put a sticker on the yeah, board? Yeah, the deck. Their whole deck. And then you wax on top of that? Yeah, and then when you want to pull off your like, you pull off the sticker and you clean the wax by doing that. It almost creates like a traction traction pad like look, so it builds up like little ridges and like you know it has like this weird mm -hmm. texture. So then when you know you wax over it, it you know, and but then when you you just peel the whole thing off, and you have, it's, I don't know, I don't know the name of the company, but I've been seeing people with it. Like oh. what a weird, everything's trippy. The only new thing that matters to me is fin puller. <laughs> <laughs> the fin puller. Uh -uh. Bro, it's kind of amazing. You know how you have to change your when you change your fins, it's a bitch to get the fin oh, off. You're just you're cutting your arm yeah. you're cutting your palm. Palm cutting and, palm and, your ears and yeah. shit. This guy invented a thing called the fin puller. And you basically This guy Slip it on your fin. You got one? Yeah. And it just yanks it out for you. I'm going to have to buy one. You have to get one. I got to buy it. Yeah. You got to get it. It's oh. pretty It's pretty amazing. Like, I can't believe no one thought of it before. Check it out. So we're showing Double D the, the fin puller right now. Well, so you sandwich cool. it. You just go behind. And that's the back of the fin. You know? Gory from Fin Puller. And you just lift up. Hooked up Larson and I, and we're, our lives are changed. Every store needs to have at least a dozen. I don't, just I'm not, hanging. I'm not lazy anymore and changing my fins out. If That's I want amazing. To. Yeah. So it just grips around the side, and you just. Great. However but the show is not about Fin Puller. No, but we appreciate the uh, the freebies we got. These things are sick. Sick. Super oh, sick. We'll have to post it. And I, watched, I did a fashion shoot. For surfing magazine what mike armstrong myself and two models flew to mazatlan do you have all these pictures or i have them yeah okay because i'm going to be posting every day for seven days so, so i just need... need to take pictures of those and send them to you yeah yeah okay yeah that'd have to be great well thanks what an amazing conversation with yeah. huntington beach double d yeah uh, you've, you've had quite a, quite a, I'm just, I had stuff. Yeah. I was pulling up stuff. Um,
But no, dude, we we love oh, hearing yeah from ding Success. repair guy to surfboard salesman, surf shop to owner, hot coder to surf shop owner to number one or number five. We don't really know Billabong employee, quality assurance manager to limited partner at Hurley and doing quite well for himself and still he can't quit the industry. Now he's helping the new ventures of the Billabong Kandui ventures. Billabong. I mean Hurley. I mean Hurley. Dude. Hurley. I'm going to have to cut that out. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Hurley, IPD, and FMX. <laughs> FMX <laughs> and simple shoes. Simple shoes. Dwight, thank you. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you see him out at Tower Eleven Thirteen, give him a wave. There's no such thing as Tower Eleven Thirteen. <laughs> That's State Beach. Thank you, Double D. Thank you, Thanks. guys. Peace. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.